Hello and welcome to the next episode of The Podcast, a cannabis podcast for budding enthusiasts. This episode, as always, was brought to you by 420 Australia, your number one store for 420 lifestyle and apparel, as well as Organic Gardening Solutions, your premier organic gardening store. And finally, Seeds Here Now. You know them, they're the best. Guarantee on satisfaction, not just germination. Check it all out. On this episode, we're joined by the man, the weed nerd himself, Subcool. Chatting all things breeding and controversy. Let's get into it. Alrighty, so a big thank you and welcome to the infamous weed nerd himself, Subcool. Thanks for joining us on the show. Thank you very much. So, first question. We're going to do a little change of pace here. I want to know, what are you smoking on right now? Um, I'm smoking uh, cookies and cream um, live resin rosin that um, a friend of mine sent to me because I'm getting the Cubans cookies and cream cut next week. So I'm beta testing this live rosin and it tastes like uh, caramel and coffee with creamer in it. It's delicious. Wow. I certainly have never had anything that nice before. Do you think that's kind of the future of concentrates is going in this super primo fashion? Yeah, I think so. I um, I mean, I was a big rosin head before the house burned down. I had a Sasquatch rosin press, and I learned so much about it. And the flavors and everything you can get are just amazing. You take some really high-quality water hash, and you press it and press all the contaminants out of it. And, and what you're left with is truly some of the smoothest, tastiest stuff in the world. Now, I prefer to smoke THC crystals, which are more to made you know, with solvents and stuff. But you can't beat the flavor of, of live resin pressed. It's like, like I said, it's like eating caramel but smoking it. Nice. And so are you a, you a fan of the Sasquatch presses? I've seen a few people with them. Yeah, I, um, I'm more a fan of the, the people. They were really nice to me. And I, the rosin pressers are good. There's so many people out there. But Sasquatch themselves made me a press, put my logo on it, shipped it to me. And then when my house burnt down, they built me another one and they have it ready to ship to my new house. And that's pretty nice customer service. Yeah, can't argue with that. So we'll, we'll jump back onto the regular first question now. What was your first experience with cannabis? This is going to draw out because it sounds like such bullshit, but it's the truth. So when I was around nine years old, uh, I had the opportunity to go to a concert with a guy that had a roach. Okay, <laughs> seriously. So I think it was Edgar Winter or something. So we walked around the entire show, even though everybody was smoking cannabis everywhere, and we were too scared to smoke it because we were kids. And so we went home to his house, and I remember we stood on the toilet and turned the fan on, and we each got one hit, and we blew it up into the thing. <laughs> and I will never forget what it tasted like. It was, to me, the most incredible, interesting thing I'd ever done in my life. So about a year and a half later, I had a best friend who had an older sister who I used to look at her, you know, she was, she was cute. I used to have the <laughs> thing for her and her boyfriend left roaches in the ashtray, really long ones. He was a, a cannabis seller. And I mean, he was my hero. He was sleeping with her and he had <laughs> weed, you know? So I used to steal his joints, the roaches, not steal his weed, but take his, you know, lipstick on them from her and we'd take them out back and smoke them. And this was Colombian gold. So it would make our ears ring. And I have to continue the one thing. So the first time I got high, I heard in my head, I mean, really high, about 10 ish or 11, I heard this. And I heard it for years when I got high. 
And I was 15 when I heard the immigrant song and I heard the sound again. Why the hell did I hear the immigrant song when I got high, even though I didn't know who Led Zeppelin was? Huh, there you go. Do you reckon maybe uh, you you heard it when you were really young or not? Just never exposed to it? I don't know. I think Led Zeppelin smoked some weed and heard it, and that's why they wrote the song. <laughs> that's a good explanation. So kind of from that point forward, how did you really get into cannabis? I guess you obviously just progressively started to smoke more from that age. At what point did you kind of become did cannabis become really quite involved in your life? Well, I went to back up a little bit. So I come from this, <clears throat> I come from the South where um, cannabis was very prohibited and it was very expensive. So at a fairly early age, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to lie. 16, 17. I mean, I think I had a car, you know, I started buying weed from a guy and selling it. And so I was the weed guy, you know, always I bought pounds of, of, seeded crappy commercial weed and the, our profit margin back then was we sold six ounces to make our money and then we kept six ounces of stash or or whatever and that that's the way it always worked and so that continued until the drug war kept in and, and cannabis went to four hundred dollars an ounce down in gainesville with the gainesville green and at that time i, I started growing I, I got some seeds and i from a bag and i put them out in my yard and i I grew some tall male, female plants, and when they got about my height, I cut them down and smoked them. And then um, I started reading um, Ed's book. Um, they did, there weren't such things as the internet, so I started reading books. And it was a book called Sensimilia Tips, and it had pictures of pot plants on concrete blocks with fans and lights. And it talked about females and males, and I, I got it. I was like, okay, I got to kill the males. And it talked about sexual maturity and I was like, well, wait a minute, I just cut them down. So the next year we actually grew really good cannabis outside. I mean, we, we harvested at the end of the year. It had resin on it. It was really good. And we instantly became famous people in our circle because we had dank seedless dank. And it, it made me people like me. And uh, I'm going to say some things during this interview. So people get to know me better. I'm a very serious uh, inferiority complex. I, I feel alone in the world. Uh, I'm very gregarious and loud, but it's to hide a shyness that I have. And cannabis made me the fucking man. I mean, I was the man. Chicks like me, dudes like me, people like me. So it, it, it helped me get over this, this thing I have where I just don't feel like I belong in the world. And and I just ran with it. I mean, I started growing indoors. Um, I was growing in Georgia by the time I was in my 30s. Um, I'll tell the story quick. I went to Amsterdam to buy some seeds. And the guy that I was living with decided to rip all the pot plants off while I was gone and kind of set up a pot plant in the front yard to get me busted. So I came back to a police tape. And that was my first bust. I went down for five years for... Um, they found the trailer where he moved everything. So they got us for 362 plants. Um, he got the majority of the problems because I was out of town, but, but I got my five. And then, um, I moved to Florida because they banned me from Georgia and my son was in Georgia. So I wanted to see him on the weekends. So I illegally moved close where I could skip over the state line, see him. And I started doing the one thing I know best. I started growing weed in Gainesville. And one of my favorite stories before I take a pause on the story is, Never forget the probation officer called me in my grow room. He goes, well, how's everything going? I looked at my plants and I think everything is going fucking great, dude. So uh, that's how I got started. <laughs> I just grew weed and sold weed. And in Florida, I also got in trouble. I got busted there for selling really good cannabis. And they kind of found us. 
which led to me leaving um, to Amsterdam. I lived in Amsterdam for a couple of years with Gypsy Nirvana, hiding from the comps. I came back in through Canada, lived in Canada for a while. Finally got busted in Canada, um, and they extradited me to America, where I came back in and did my time. Um, I'm clean, no probation, no, no felony, nothing. I'm clean. I have felonies, but I don't have any probation and nothing on me. And that is when I moved to the West Coast. And when I moved to the West Coast, I moved to Oregon, where cannabis was not illegal. And I stopped getting in trouble. <laughs> wow. We, we definitely need to wind back there. There's hours worth of stories to dig into so the first thing which caught my attention was all the way back at the start you mentioned um ed's book in those early days who were some of the other people who you looked up to besides ed you know because i the thing that i seemed to notice was besides ed and maybe neville there wasn't a lot of people you really could look up to there was no one mate i mean we heard heard of jack but you know, uh, me and Ed are friends. If you guys don't know Ed, is really I call him Pop. He calls me son. He published my book. He he helped me get my book in the Jefferson Memorial Library, the Library of Congress. I mean, the guy's an awesome guy. But it's not like I believe everything Ed says. The whole photos interrupt this thing. We we used to argue over. But when I was growing up, there was one book. It was the Marijuana Encyclopedia. It. It sat on our toilet, and when we went to the bathroom, we read it, and it was Ed and Mel. And we read it forwards and backwards and backwards and forwards. And that's, I mean, that and Sensimedia Tips. I mentioned it earlier. I don't know if you remember Sensimedia Tips. That was the first cannabis magazine I ever saw. Because at the time, High Times had cocaine and heroin and pills. And it, it wasn't a cannabis cultivation magazine. It was a drug magazine. So, yeah, there was no one else. There was no internet and there were no books. And believe me, in Georgia, you didn't even let anybody know you had that grow book. Yeah, wow. Different times, wasn't it? So, with that being said, what type of strains were you growing? Were there any breeders that you're aware of, or was everyone just kind of growing their own little thing they had? Yeah, we would. Uh, the very first named strain I grew was Grape Ape, but it's not the Grape Ape you would know. It was just a bag of weed we bought from Tabby Island, Georgia, that was purple and it was killer. And it had about 20 seeds in it. So, we grew it out. I mean, now, now I wonder was it feminized? Was it a herm? Was it one male how did they get them but we grew it out and it was killer and i mentioned it at the time and i'll take some heat for this cannabis was seventy two hundred dollars a pound in georgia just it is what it is if you wanted really good cannabis and they all called it dro hydro even though we grow in soil but that's really where it was at it was only when i ordered and i love telling the story i ordered them um from mark emery i ordered puna butter and I ordered uh, something called Dominia. And that was, God, I, I wish I could do years. I'm not the guy that does it. 1986, I don't know when the fuck it was, <laughs> but it was it was when you when you bought seeds from Mark and some girl sent them to you. You went like to some website and you sent him a money order. And the pooter butter was $60 for 10 seeds. And, and I grew it out and I, I didn't like it. I was like, well, my grape ape was better. So that's when I actually flew to Amsterdam for the first time and bought, uh, I got a bunch of American growers that I know and we got 3000 American dollars, which was 8,000 guilder. And I smuggled back, uh, about a thousand seeds for all the growers I know in the United States. I put them in my belt buckle and we snuck them all out. And from that, and this is going to sound so cocky from that overgrow was formed. 
because some of my friends got Northern Lights and some of my guys got Black Domino and some of my guys got White Widow and some of my guys got Russian. And we all started working together and growing and, and, and working with the Canadians that also have genetics. And that's how these things form. I mean, Northern Lights 5, bam, right there in the channel is being mixed with White Widow and G13. And some of those strains are still around today. My favorite is a Mighty Might Chemo Widow. It, it would blister you. Like it would make you not be able to speak. It was so strong. Wow. And, and obviously that's not commonly spoken about at all. I guess a lot of this stuff has fallen off. It, it's fallen off and it's gotten uh, mixed in with others. And, you know, remember those stories I told. So in Georgia, when they raided me, I lost 83 mothers. I lost dank ass bitch. A DAB It's a strain that growers would know. I lost... I lost Nebu's uh, uh, Russian. I lost. I mean, I lost lost tons and tons of moms, and then I lost another thousand seeds that can never be replaced. And, and I would imagine that a lot of the core genetics that we have built and collected over the years before the things changed, they got destroyed by the police. Wow. And so, just to loop back on that trip to Amsterdam quickly, do you remember what brands you were buying? Based off what you said, it sounded like you were buying a lot of the Seed Bank and uh, as well as maybe um, Super Sativa Seed Club. You know, w were those the people who were around at that time, or was it a little after that? No, no, they were the greenhouse was there. We, I was a big fan of Serious Seeds, so White Russian AK forty seven, a huge fan, and also. Tony with Sargamantha, who comes to my chat channel and hangs out. I'm blown away. So he used to sell that Yumbolt. And we went to a place there called the Gray Area. And the Gray Area is an Americanized coffee shop. It's not Dutch. They have soda pops and rock and roll and metal tables. And the Keef they had there, the Calimus Keef, was some of the best I've ever smoked in my life. So we went to buy the genetics we smoked at the coffee shop. We, we were naive. We are like, that's where the good shit is. That's where the good seeds are. <laughs> so that first trip, we bought a lot of AK. And by the way, that AK that I bought, that cherry AK, still used to breed with today by about four breeding companies. Wow, yeah. So are you of the opinion that the stock back then was generally of higher quality than it is today? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't want to start a war, but for sure, it's pretty common for them to lose a mother and a father and just grow it out again and start an f2 i mean i can guarantee you that the ak-47 we bought in 87 was not the ak-47 that i grew out three years ago it was homogenized crap and i'm not talking talking bad because it was tons i got three pounds off the off the pack giant plants but it was homogenized it lacked character and what we call dank yeah okay so if we scoot a little forward then, you mentioned coming back, a lot of these genetics giving birth to kind of overgrown. Before that, w was there many people bringing seeds back, do you think? Um, there were, but we weren't organized. This is what Overgrow gave to us. Overgrow gave us a platform to speak. So I was speaking to Bog, and I was speaking to Soul, and I was speaking to Vic High. And then we started sharing notes. Well, what are you growing? Well, what do you breed? Well, I make Killer Queen. What do you make? Well, I have a G13. And that's when we started trading genetics and growing together. So me and Soul and Sly used to talk a lot with the A13, um, the Cindy, and then Vic had the Space Queen. So if you wonder how I created Vortex, I knew those guys. So they gave me their genetics. I crossed them together. And, and I get a lot of credit for the A13 uh, crosses the Vortex because it won the, the Cannabis Cup. 
A guy grew out a five pack, renamed it God's Pussy and Beat Me. And but it's it's not rocket science. I mean, I got the very best phenotype um, from um, uh, from Seoul, which was one female A13 out of 500 seeds, the only one that existed. And then I crossed it time Space Queen. I mean, I'm sorry, but if you have really good shit and you mix it together, I don't think you need to be super skilled. And I take heat on that. People are like, well, Sub's not a breeder. Well, I don't know. I made Jack the Ripper, you know. I, I had to make it somehow, and it started back then. So the exchange of knowledge through overgrow changed the world. It allowed me to talk to another grower. How do you grow? I grow in water. What's your pH? This. What are you growing? This. That knowledge just super speeded cannabis growing in America. We learned about lights. We learned about CO2. We learned about nutrients. We learned about super soil through Vic. Um, Vic had a very basic recipe online called Vic's Super Soil, and I still have that copy. I took the recipe and added about 25 units of things to it to make it better, in my opinion. And people still use that Super Soil today. Without overgrow, I would have never talked to Vic. Vic would have never gave me his recipe, and we would have never had Super Soil. So it was the knowledge that overgrow gave us. It wasn't all the bullshit and the trolls and the karma liking system. It was being able to PM bog and say, bro, let me have a cut of your bog bubble. Sure. Sub. How about, how about a cut of your Jack's cleaner? Yeah, boo. Let's make Jack's cleaner blueberry, which bog still uses today to make lifesaver. Yeah, that's interesting. You just you touched on so many questions. I think we'll rewind back, try to quickly touch on, you referenced the God's Pussy. That was funny. I had a question I was going to ask later. Basically, do you have any plans to maybe try to get that cut and breed with it? Because my friends from Roundtable basically explained this cut to me and they were saying like, yeah, it's, you're not going to believe it. It's phenomenal. And so immediately I was like, hmm, like, you know, what's the go with that? If you grow 100 seeds, Vortex seeds, you'll get 49 of those phenotypes. So you, oh, there was one there was one percent difference between my phenotype and his. Mine tasted a little peachy. His was a little more lemony. And that year, the judges that were judging liked citrus. They were stand even. And that sounds cocky, but it's not. It's last. I was looking for a male vortex. Okay, about six years ago, and this is documented on Roll It Up. So I started twenty seeds, and I got nineteen damn females. Not what I wanted, and. Every single one of them was exactly the same. I mean, if you go look at the thread, there's 19 plants. We're just taking pictures of them over and over again. They look exactly the same. Slight differences between peach, pear, lemon, you know, that that slight essence of cannabis terps. But it's the most stable strain I've ever created. I didn't do anything to it but cross a male and a female plant. Yeah, okay. So another thing I just remembered that you spoke about was you referenced talking to Sly. Sly is someone who really had to get a lot of information about him. What was your relationship with him like? And, you know, kind of how was your, what was your impression of him? Well, you know, Sly, um, both Sly and Vic um, and me had a very unique way of learning. We argued with each other. I mean, you, if you had seen it, it was like, you dumbass, you don't know what you're talking about. But that, that exchange of information got us somewhere but sly was the kinder he was the smarter he was the scientist you know um soul was definitely more the sales guy i mean i'm not knocking rick if he was sitting here right beside me i'd say the same thing he was with his fingernail polish and his and his cinderella slippers i mean he's a good 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 um salesman and a very good representative for the company but sly had the brains man he knew 
he knew about dominant dominance and, and, and traits and he knew how to work these trains together and he knew what would work. And as importantly, he's brave enough to send us all clones. So if you knew Vic high, when I was 20 ish, if you asked Vic for a clone, he'd just send you a cut out of killer queen. And we didn't have clone shippers back then, dude, it was a different game, but we got it done. <laughs> That's cool. So something I did want to quickly mention was, I think for a lot of people like myself, you were the person who kind of got them into organics through making the super soil easy. So obviously, you know, a big thank you for that because I'm, I'm very passionate about organics now. But something which it led me to do was to dive further into the super soil recipe. And I believe I found a screenshot of a really old overgrowth thread where Vic actually says that he found the recipe in um, an old book by like forest agronomists or something like that. And he basically said that um, they would make this recipe, they would, put the dry amendments under big trees when they transplanted big trees into forests so that, they, you know, they'd grow into the nutrient-dense stuff. Anyway, I found it was interesting because what it essentially goes to show is, you know, it's just it's just continually built over time. And I think that that's a bit of a... People make the mistake of thinking that he fully made it and, and it's never been modified. And, and the point that you brought up is really relevant, that you added a lot to it. And if you do compare his recipe to yours, you, you'll see that yours is a lot more kind of holistic in, in all of the amendments, whereas his is a lot more bare bones and it's just, you know, like manure and blood and bone and one or two other things, really. And it goes further. I mean, you know, kids take my super soil that are smarter than me and they adjust it, they measure it, they take it to soil shops. Build a soil has an entire fucking thread based on my super soil where one scientist says I'm an idiot and it doesn't work. And another scientist explains why it does work. And you can buy super soil from build a soil. You can buy the dirt and a charge pack and you just mix the shit up and put uh, 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 worm castings in it and you have it. So the only thing I did with, with super soil was give people the idea to mix it up in your backyard and play with it. I mean, we've made hot batches. We've made cold batches gnats are part of super soil i'll go ahead and tell you now the newest thing we do is we put two inches of neem cake on top of all the barrels after we make super soil it prevents the fungus gnats from getting down into the compost and the, and the, and the you know, manure and then when you go to use it you just scrape the neem cake off with your hands and throw it away and the little bit extra that stays is good for the soil this is something brand new we figured out so super soil is not static and it's not for sale it's the way a guy grows pot. So, I mean, if somebody wants to give me shit about it, they can kiss my ass. It's how I grow pot. And Vic, Vic taught me to take dirt and mix it up in tubs. And then the other thing that we do now is when we first made super soil, we used really shitty ingredients. Like I buy the most expensive ingredients now, organic down to earth, expensive soils, nice crab meals, stuff that's made properly and not, not cheap. And that's another reason super soil works well. And, just so you know, I mean, we have people here in Arizona that grow commercially in super soil, buildings full of the stuff. And I think, maybe I'm wrong, but I think the no-till revolution kind of spurned from this. What do you do with all the super soil? Well, we don't want to throw it away. So guys started figuring out how to do no-till and treat with teas. And hell, Geek Mike up in Oregon takes his super soil and runs it through like a a machine and shakes everything out of it and rebuilds it. Like he's got a factory to redo super soil so they don't throw it away. So Vic taught us so much. He taught us that you could grow dank without hydroponics. And then a lot of us played with the soil until we got it where it is today. 
Yeah, I think there's definitely some truth in that statement you made in regards to super soil and the no-till which has come after it. Something I have seen raised a bit though is people do seem to feel as though super soil is quite wasteful. Would you ever, you know, in that you do inevitably have to exchange the soil out after a run or two, would you ever consider doing more of a no-till option? I'm doing it right now. I don't throw super soil out at all. I haven't done super soil out in years. Oh, that's, there you go. We have, we have 100 gallon pots in our pool. We don't reuse it. I mean, we don't throw it away. We didn't throw 100 pounds of soil away. You amend it, you put teas in it. One problem indoors is a problem. So, outdoors, you can amend the pots in the middle of the season, cover them with straw, and you get a nice, you know, you get a nice natural um, re amendment. Indoors, we don't have the same issue. I mean, when we finish our giant plants indoors, we take a five gallon bucket that's got the bottom cut off of it like a razor. We cut it down into the pot and we cut the root ball out. But it is the same process. You re-amend, um, you use teas, and you build a giant cover crop in between while your plants are vegging, cover it with straw. It's the same process. You just have to do it faster. Do we have small problems? Yeah. Indoors is not as easy as outdoors, but there are definitely growers now that grow in super soil that have not changed their soil out in many years. Yeah, totally. And so if we just kind of jump back to what we were talking about earlier, you got back and you had the seeds and overgrowns just started out. Is this when you would consider yourself to have truly kind of begun the breeder's journey or do you feel like you started a little before that? No, that's where. So I made uh, Jack's cleaner um, um, blueberry and I made, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, Jack's cleaner BX and I made Danny Boy. And there was a site, a sister site to Overgrow called Cannabis World. And on Cannabis World was the auctions. And so we went to Sea uh, Bay and you could put your seeds up. And I remember the first pack of seeds I put up with Danny Boy was $5. Stayed up for three days, no bids. Put it back up. Stayed up for two days and someone bought it for $5. Within a year... People were bidding on the seeds upwards of $40 to $50. Bog joined, soul was in. And I got to tell you this crazy story about human nature. So in the seed place, you could buy a pack of seeds for a price. It was called instant purchase. But then as a breeder, you could list a pack of seeds up there for less and let people bid on it. There's some bizarre human nature. People would bid past the instant purchase price. So there'd be a pack of Danny boys sitting there for $40. And three guys would be bidding up the other pack to $90. And as a businessman, I just fucking laughed. I was like, if you want to pay me $40 more for it so you guys can argue with each other, great. So an enormous amount of money was made on the on the sea bay with people bidding against each other. And that's a form of trolls and haters already, already starting on the internet. People arguing with each other over a pack of seeds. And as a seed seller, not a breeder, I laughed my ass off. I was like, y'all are overpaying for the seeds? It's just part of the history of seeds. Interesting. And it seems as though so many kind of notable breeders did get their, their starting foot in these in these forums. Do you feel like there's any reason as to why we don't see the same popularity for forums nowadays? It seems to be quite contained to like Instagram. Um, I think I think trolls are a big part of it. I mean, there's there's this we're gonna talk about this as well, because I mean I, I will bring it up. I mean, when you said I was gonna go on the show today, I had 150 comments that I was the biggest piece of shit on the planet. So that's the that the internet. You go to roll it up right now and it's like, hey, I grow good pot. No, you don't. Your mom sucks. You suck dicks. It's just it's exhausting. 
On Instagram, the same thing occurs, but you can block people. You can ban them. You can get rid of the comments. On Roll It Up, if somebody's up your ass, there's nothing you can do. I mean, if every time you post a picture, the guy calls you a dumbass. So that's part of it. That's part of it. The other thing is you just said it. I carry Instagram in my phone, bro. I ain't got to sit at my house and upload pictures. I don't have to, you know, remember the old uploading a picture to Overgrow would take like five minutes. Remember that shit? Dial-ups and stuff. I mean, nowadays, somebody sends me a picture, I hit a button, and I'm making an advertisement. That's part of it. The other part of it is I think there are too many forums. I think it got fragmented. When Roll It, I mean, excuse me, when Overgrow got started, that was it, bro. We were all at one place, all of us. Now there's Roll It Up, which is run by a bunch of kids. There's no moderator. There's CBay. There's IC Mag, which I've been banned for life because Gypsy doesn't like me. I mean, I never even could go there. It's funny, one of his guys called me one day to advertise there. I was like, dude, Gypsy won't even let me log in. I'm not going to buy an ad. And then there's thousands more. There's cannabis and this and this and this. So it's fragmented. So instead of 100,000 growers all in one spot talking every day, it's spread apart. I could compare it to dating sites. I'm not, you know, if there's one dating site, then you meet everybody. But if there's a thousand, how the hell do you find everybody? Everybody's on Instagram. If you're in the pot business, you're on Instagram. Yeah, that's the truth, isn't it? So something we haven't been able to get any information from people, but you'll be the perfect person. What was it like to live with Gypsy? What What's he like as a guy? God, man, uh, it's all, it's all going to sound bad. I'll spend a few minutes on it, but it's all going to sound bad. So I met him. He's very nice. I mean, over the, over the internet, great. I went over and I lived with him and his wife, Nikki. That was kind of cool in, in England. Um, stayed in a little pop. Um, I, I liked it. I, I thought English breakfast was intriguing. Nikki was cool. His, his crew was cool. And then Gypsy got a business opportunity to go to Amsterdam. So I went with him and we opened up uh, his shop, um, the Zeta 42 Zadok. Uh, my pictures are literally still in the guy's shop because I had a laptop with all my photographs on it and Gypsy didn't have photographs. So, but the guy, this Gypsy's two people, and, and we can talk about this with me too, because I've had my bout with this. Gypsy was a fairly decent gentleman when he didn't drink. But in the afternoon, he would send me for two bottles of red wine, and I would go get his. I was his do boy. Make no, let's not glamorize this shit. I was Gypsy's bitch. So I'd get on the bike, and I'd ride up and get him a couple bottles of wine, and then by 8 o'clock, he was screaming and hollering at me. Why are you on the fucking internet, mate? What the fuck you sought? So he's rude, and, and people have seen Gypsy attack people online if you haven't. I mean, come on. And that's what you get. The gypsy in the morning was a fairly decent guy. Bought your breakfast, take you around his car, show you some stuff. When he drank, he was rude. And uh, I will address that as well. There are people, one of the things that somebody said to me is that um, in public, I was rude to them. Between the time I was diagnosed with a fucking progressive fatal illness and today, I went through some shit. And there was about a year. I will tell you right off, I was checked out of life. I was drinking. I was taking drugs. I was trying to escape a diagnosis of choking to death on my own snot. I got my shit together and I don't do drugs anymore. I haven't had a drink or a, a pharmaceutical drug in over 450 days and I won't, don't think I'll ever do them again. So the reason I bring that up is alcohol is a fucked up thing. And then the, what I found in Gypsy was alcohol, not Gypsy. And I didn't know that until I had my own bout with it. So about three years ago, if you came in contact with me and I was rude as shit to you, I was trying to kill myself because some doctor told me I was going to choke to death in the hospital. I have dealt with it emotionally and I plan to live my life 
every day the best I can until that time comes instead of sitting around and worrying about it. Yeah, I think that's a that's a really good kind of message and I think a lot of people will be happy to hear that. Just to kind of, how, do, how did you wrap up the MCM? I think you said that you ended up going to Canada after that. What was, what ended Oh, no, up? let's, no, mate, back up. So my best, <laughs> so Gypsy had this great idea to turn this uh, giant house where it had a table from the Anne Frank house and, a, and a, a, this, excuse me, a chandelier from the Anne Frank house and a table that came from an old hash baron. So the, the house was a hash baron's house. Fucking history, mate. It was crazy. Guy that owned it was worth $42 million. This African guy, super nice people, drum. So it was all a great thing. Gypsy had the idea to set it up as a hotel and have a bunch of American stoners come over and stay, party, smoke weed, pay Gypsy, stay in this awesome house that's in the red light district. I mean, the whorehouse is across the street. It's fucking awesome. So the first person I had to bring over was my best friend, Danny Boy. And before I tell the story, I will tell you that Danny was almost 40. He ate only meat. He didn't eat vegetables. He smoked four packs of cigarettes a day. And he worked all night at a Roach Coast business. He's fucking out of shape. So he came over to Amsterdam and partied with me. We were cannabis cup judges. Gypsy was awesome. He was a cannabis cup judge. I mean, a real one. We had the real shit, hash, weed, everything. Sitting there in that house smoking it. So Danny, um, we smoked 20-something samples of weed, hash. And Danny was... And I'm going to just say it. Danny liked prostitutes. He didn't, he didn't have a way with women back at home. In fact, I don't think the guy ever fell in love in his life. It's such a sad story. So he'd come to Amsterdam and spend his yearly income getting laid. And the second night he came back, and the story's hard for me to tell, but the second night he came back, he was sweaty and he was winded. Well, of course. And he came in and he sat down and he was obviously, you know, Phew. I said, are you okay, bud? And he goes, oh man, I'm, that was rough. I said, you okay? He goes, I'm just, my heart's, my, my heart's pounding. I'm still, you know, I just need to go lay down. I said, well, do you want to go to the hospital? He goes, well, do you know where hospital is? I said, well, fuck no. It's two o'clock in the morning, Amsterdam. I'm stoned as you are. So he's like, I'm just going to go lay down, bro. So he went and lay down. And the next morning at breakfast, he wasn't there. And I guess it was like 730. I was like, well, where the hell is he at? So I went upstairs and he was dead. He was laying in Gypsy's fourth floor and he had died of a heart attack in his sleep. So we had to carry his body down the steps. First time I'd ever seen a dead person and especially my fucking best friend. Oh yeah, by the way, I performed CPR on him for about 30 minutes and because I thought death rattle was life and nah, perform CPR on a dead guy. That's always good for your brain. So we get, we get blunt out. I get blunt to the American embassy, get him home like I'm supposed to. I do all the things a friend's supposed to do and I come back and Gypsy's drinking. So within a couple of hours, he said, get your fucking shit, mate, and get out my fucking house. He didn't pay me and he threw me out. So I had about 200 Gilder and I called RC, the owner of Overgrow. And he said, fly to uh, Canada. Just get your ass to Montreal and I'll get you some money and some weed. So I landed. God, this story is so weird. I landed and I took a cab to this high performance F1 club. I mean, all these fancy models and Jackie Stewart likes. I did not belong there, dude. I was an American on the run with my ass kicked. But there was RC, and he picked me up, and he took me to a little hotel called the Saint Laurent. It's a little teeny little place, and he gave me some weed, which RC did not carry weed because he owned Overgrow. And he gave me some money, like $300 or $400. And from there, I went into the middle of the country in Amsterdam to, I mean, excuse me, to Winnipeg to a, a weed nerd's house, not at the time was not a weed nerd, just a friend. And I, I started on to grow. I was like, basically, can I come to your house and grow a shitload of weed? And he said, yeah. So that's how I got from Amsterdam to Canada was Danny dying. 
And that's why I named that stream Danny Ward. And so how do you think that's affected you in the long term, having to have kind of been there for Danny's death and the subsequent, you know, there's all, it's obviously like a dramatic kind of exit in its own right. Yeah, well, it pissed me off because I couldn't come back to the United States to watch him get buried because I was a fugitive from the, from the law for growing fucking plant. So I had to deal with not going there. I had to deal with people hating on me because I didn't love Danny. He didn't even go up to the fucking funeral. You can imagine how torturous that was. I was stuck in Amsterdam with my best friend, you know. I mean, excuse me, stuck, stuck in, uh, I was in Canada. I could not come back into the country. And, um, I mean, I later actually went and saw Danny's gravestone and Danny's mother and father were both friends of mine. Danny's father has since died. And I have to tell you, one of the things I'll get all fucking sad, but one of the things I lost in the fire was, uh, I had a hand drawn picture of Danny and it burned up. No, I can't get that back. So I don't have a picture of Danny. That's tough to hear. Something I thought was always really inspiring though, was that you did create that strain in his honor um, is that something you ever plan to maybe try to work with further, maybe bring it back? I think I've heard you speak about it on the Weed Nerds episode, but I think you also said that this, the stock's kind of gone as well. Yeah, the taco mom um, was lost. And then not only that, you know, Danny Boy was very special to me, Danny. And so was Danny Boy. So the 500 and something seeds that I created, if you don't have a cut, you don't get to see it either. So if we just go back to the Canadian part of the story... You were at your friend's house growing the weed there. How did you yeah, manage? Sweet leaf. Sweet leaf. Okay. So what, what strains were you growing in Canada at the time? Um, a lot of the same stuff. AB High had given us AB and High and the dab, the blueberry, the cheese, G13, um, AK47, all of those. And, and I can shorten the Canadian story simple because we don't need to tell a lot of time. I lived in a Winnipeg. It was 45 below freezing as shit we moved into a house and we grew 10 pounds of dank in two months and we dropped it onto the street and the cops were like where the fuck did this come from i met a kid named miles weed was 2200 a pound in canada i said well i don't sell my weed for 2200 we're going to 3200 he said you'll never do it i harvested showed it to him they said yeah we'll pay 3200 for that and then within a month we got busted i mean the cops knew it they knew that there was weed in the city and they just chased it back to us and never forget. So in Florida, when I got uh, raided, they kicked my door down, held a machine gun to my head, put the knee in my back, generally treated me like shit, stole everything from the house, stole my CDs, just treated me like shit. In Canada, they rang the doorbell. Hey, Mike, how you doing? Sit down. Don't, don't be silly. And I sat down. And while they were busting us, they found the warrant. So you're going to love this one. I love to tell the story. Stayed in Canada for a long time in a place called the Headingley Hilton, built in 1929. I was a chef. I cooked. It wasn't the worst gig you ever had for 12 months in jail. I got high in jail. I had food in jail. You could have a blanket so you could beat off in jail. A lot of things you can't do in America. So it was like not the worst experience of my life. So then they deported me to America. And at the border of Dakota and uh, Winnipeg, they, they let me out, Cavalier, North Dakota, I stayed in this little box and the guard cooked macaroni and cheese and hamburger helper and peas. That was supper. That's how small this place was. And they held me and they asked uh, Florida to come get me and Florida didn't want me. So they held me for 30 days and I had a law there that says if Florida doesn't come get you in 30 days, they'll let you go. So they let me go. So I moved in down in um, to the city and went to work with a friend of mine named Squid. 
I worked as a heating and air salesperson. I made a lot of money. I went to your house and gave you an estimate. I was good at my job. And one night I went through a damn speed zone. The guy picked me up, came to the car. He goes, you know, you got a warrant. And I, t- I said, yep. And I said, I got a warrant in Florida. They're not going to come get me. Well, this place was a little different. They held you for nine months and they call Florida every day. So in the 11th hour, the very 11th hour, um, they came and got me. I started talking to Jill at the time. Um, Jill was writing me every day and we had you know, started a relationship. They got me at the last hour, 11.59. And there's something that, this is part of the story. There's something in America called Transcore. Go look it up on the internet. Transcore Prisoner Services. It's so beautiful. We transport your prisoners in luxury. Fuck you. They strapped us together in a school bus and drove us 10,000 miles and fed us McDonald's. And when you pass by the jail you're supposed to go to, you ride right by it. Because they can keep you on the bus for 30 days and they make $1,000 a day per prisoner. And they keep it full and they drive it out around. And there's hundreds of them in America right now. It is the most egregious shit I've ever heard of my life. It's called Transcore. And I was shackled to another man for 17 days and I shit in a steel box. And I was fed McDonald's three times a day. And I swear to God, that's a true story. I'm not sure I ever heard of that. That's that's really kind of scary. And it's how they transport a prisoner from one place to the other. And the reason they treat you so shitty is because you're convicted. You're not, you know, you're not like going to court. You're on the run or you're moving. And it's it's rough. I was I was strapped to a guy that blew his dad away with a shotgun. So it's pretty pretty crazy to take a guy who grows pot. And has a loud mouth. I mean, if I have a flaw, I have a loud mouth. That's it. And and put him through the system. And I learned so much shit. I learned about guns and murder. And I mean, I learned every criminal element you could ever learn in your life in jail. Um, and then anyway, so that was Florida. They dragged me down to Florida and I get to Florida. They just let me go. They're like, well, we don't want you anymore. It's like, why the hell did you come get me? Because they kept calling us. So they gave me three years drug probation, which is you basically piss once a week. You have to go every Wednesday and piss in a cup for three years. And I did it. I quit smoking weed and I passed that test and I got off probation. That's incredible. I, I couldn't imagine even to having to do it for like a year at three years. So were you growing during that time as well and just abstaining? You bet. No, you bet I was growing. Fuck, I couldn't do that. Remember the story? Remember the story when the guy called me and he said, how you doing? Yeah. How, how's it going? And I said, man, everything's going fucking great. I was standing in the grow room, but I didn't smoke. You fail a piss test on, a, on, a, on this kind of thing, you go back to jail. So it's not like you don't get a wrist slap. If you have two years and four months left and you piss dirty, you go back to jail. It was, it was pretty incentive, you know. Yeah. Jail or not get high. So I guess from a different angle, those were kind of financially profitable years, seeing as you were just just a marketer. Yeah, Florida's, you know, Florida's was around $7,000 a pound, and I lived in Gainesville, and we were just pumping it out um, to the college there. And ounces were 400 to 450 maybe 500 on the weekend. And, I mean, it's the drug war created these prices. I bought my first bag of weed for $40. So thank you, Nancy Reagan. Appreciate that nice car I drove in that badass house. It was really nice of you. <laughs> Give me a raise. Yeah, there's a lot of parallels in Australia right now. I think, you know, the prices are arguably even a little higher than what you're quoting. They used to be. But, yeah, very much the same thing. You know, it's supply and demand to the largest extent. Absolutely. So, 
So, what type of strains were you growing in Florida? And were you aware of any other kind of notable people in the Florida area doing their thing? Like, I mean, did you think like, oh, there's there's definitely someone in the town over and they're putting out some good stuff, you know, I've seen it. Yeah, it's great. Thank you for the opening to this killer story. So, I met a dude named uh, Tommy Holland. Uh, he passed away last year, by the way. Uh, good guy. But, uh, excuse me, um, I met him and he came into my house and he had a joint of this shit. It was fluorescent green. And I was Gainesville Green. If you're from the South, you know what I'm talking about. But it had a name. But he goes, it's Micanopy Moonbeam. I was like, what? He goes, we got the Micanopy Moonbeam and the Micanopy Madness. Now, I find both of these strains a little leafy now as a grower and breeder. But at the time, they were fucking Afghanis that finished at nine weeks. And we were getting two and a half pounds of bud off of them. And, I mean, we were just crushing it. We, we were using Hydrofarm 1000s on light movers. And in a bedroom, I was getting four pounds every 60 days. So, I mean, that's $28,000 every two months in a fucking two-bedroom apartment. So, that's, you know, that's what we ground. We literally ground. I had a little desk downstairs that I interneted and stuff. And I, this part of the story always cracks me up. So, I was on the internet called Merck. Internet chat relay. We talked. Same thing. Trading clones. Trading information. I was in pot and weed and reefer and all this stuff and lots of friends that are on the internet now or we're in those irc days it's a lot like instagram i mean to be honest with you we're chatting and talking it's just got some more pictures but i was online and there's this you'll love this there's, we made a sound wave that said i think i can recreate it, it said hello this is subcool or with a bong hit and then i go for, forever and then i so it's, we used to play it. It was a real bong hit that went on for a really long time, and they used to play it. So as I'm, and all you got to do to play it is type wave sub slash in the text, and it plays. So I'm cuffed. I'm sitting on the couch. My friends don't know I'm on the couch cuffed, and so they keep playing the fucking wave while the cops were in the house. <laughs> so, the, so the cop reached over and snatched the cord out of the wall, and when you snatch a computer out on Merck, it does something called a K line in the, in the text box. It says K line. And three of my friends swear to God said, I wonder if sub got busted <laughs> in the channel. They were like, I wonder if sub got busted. And then I didn't come back for a month. There you go. That, that is kind of a funny one. So, um, from Florida, how'd you then transition to the West coast? Well, once I got once I got out of Florida, uh, I talked the guy into letting me come to Oregon to be with Jill. Um, I convinced him that I had a job, and I didn't. And I don't mean like at a fucking gas station. I'm a, I'm actually a trained engineer, heating and air uh, professional. I do blower door technology. I understand refrigeration, gas piping, electrical. Um, my dad taught me all that when I was young. So. I told the guys, well, I got a job with the train corporation making like $80,000 a year and I can't get it here. So he let me go out there and then me, I had three days to get the job. So I opened up the book. I went to every train dealer and I sold the fuck out of myself. And one guy's wife said, either this guy is full of shit or he really knows a lot about heating and air. And, and I really do. So they gave me a job and um, that was, you know, that was out there with Jill and I worked every day up in Lyons, Georgia. As I, I started literally framing in houses because he wasn't impressed when I had to have him call my probation officer, by the way, after I got the job. Hey, buddy, I need you to make a call for me. So he put me to work roughing up houses, putting in ducks and shit, but it was, wasn't long. He could tell I worked my ass off and I was a good guy. So I became head of sales and 
I started growing cannabis in Oregon under the medical program um, in a home that me and Jill had. We moved to the country to a bigger house, and I filled the fucking upstairs with weed. That's it. I grew weed. I sold weed. I made seeds. Part of the success of uh, Subcool um, is the weed I grew. I mean, we sold some seeds and shit, but while Jill was raising kids and homeschooling and gymming and things that mom do, I grew reefer. And I fucking sold reefer as much as I possibly could because I wanted to put the kids to school. I wanted a nice house. I wanted to buy nice things for my family. I wanted to have a retirement. I, I pay taxes like any good American. I voted. I, I will fucking tell you one thing right now about Subcool. I pay my fucking taxes. My accountant is L.H. Harris, and I pay my taxes, and I always have. And I think that's important. So that's how basically we got started. We worked there. We formed a company um, and we sold stuff on the internet. It wasn't long. I built the website. I will tell you that I hand typed every fucking word, took every picture. When people want to talk about claiming things, you know, in my organization, there's only one guy that wrote, built that website. There's only one guy that did the pollination. Same thing with all the breeders. When I went out and I found Jinx and Odie and all those guys, they're great people and they're great growers and everything, but I had to teach them how to breed. They weren't breeders. Here, you take a male, you stick it in here. You take this much time. You want to stagger this male seven days. You want to stagger this male nine days. And taking nothing away from these guys, nothing. Some of the most talented people in the world I have worked with, with giant egos. But I took their seeds and I sent them overseas. And I put them on catalogs and I put them on posters. And I put them on High Times magazines. And we developed these strains. So when people talk about, oh, sub didn't make it, well, bullshit. I shipped it to fucking Amsterdam. And I set up a store. And I sold it. And if you're one of my breeders that are out there talking shit about me that don't work for me anymore, there's a reason your shit's in Canada. There's a reason your shit's in Israel. And that's because I sent it there. And I wanted to make that very clear. So just to maybe clarify... Why do you think Odie and Jinx, for example, because I think you mentioned those two specifically, why do you think they've just moved on to, you know, doing their own thing? Or is there a reason why they've moved on? I'm hard to work with. I'm very type A. It's money. So I'll give you the money. So I used to pay these guys $2 for seeds and sell them for four. When they got famous enough, they just sold them for four. Sounds simple. Don't need sub cool no more. Everybody knows who we are. But it's the egos that probably, and I'll tell you right now, Jinx is a great guy, great breeder, and I hate it ever got like this. The fact remains, if you work for Pepsi-Cola and you develop a product, and Pepsi-Cola spends $50,000 developing your product, it's Pepsi's product. It's simple patent and trademark law. The only difference between now and then is if you do business with me now, you sign a contract, and we agree on everything, including the divorce. What happens if you don't pay the bills? What happens if you don't provide the seeds? What happens if your seed's hermaphrodite? Well, we have a contract. And the only difference, and I'm so sick of this, the only difference was two guys broke as fuck, shook hands on a deal. And then later down the road, there was a shitload of money involved. And the handshake didn't meet anymore. And if people don't understand that, I really don't care. That is the real truth of the matter. I busted my ass traveling around this country. I wrote books and put magazines in it, thousands of posts. Did not create these strains. Not saying I did, I marketed them. That's it. It's it's law. If you create something as a company, it becomes your proprietary property. 
And I've never done anything different. I don't breed with those strains, anything. I simply want somebody to give me some simple credit. And I'm going to go hard on this. When Jinx walked on stage and won fucking the cannabis cup with high nine pound hammer and he won it, all I wanted him to say was, thanks, sub. The fuck? What was wrong with that? But instead of that, we created a war. And I lost a friend. And now we all are this division of people. We don't even dislike each other. Awesome family, great people. But that's what happened. That's the story. It was money. $2 wasn't enough, so let's sell it on the open market for $4. And I don't flaw anybody. I think everybody should get in business. But if you do business with me now, you sign a contract. Contracts are how we do business. The reason we didn't sign contracts in the old days is because it was against the law. That's, that's the best I can say it. Um, I don't harm anybody, but when you take and make a menu and you put nine strings on it and you create artwork and you ship thousands of packs of seeds and then you don't get credit for it, you're going to get mad. And that's why a lot of people think I'm a dick. All I want is credit for the work I did. Does okay. that sound like an asshole? With with that being said, we see a lot of the strains that were formerly released under TGA now under their respective breeders' individual line. Is that because you guys have kind of come to a, an amicable conclusion in regards to that, or is that because the contracts ended? Like, no, I just don't do it. I'm not going to make those strains. I don't. I don't want to make any of them. I don't. I'm, there's nothing wrong with. It. I make my own strains, and I'm not making or recreating anything made by anybody that's ever made with me. It's not like that. Now. In my new business, we process cannabis under my, like anything that I've ever processed under my label, I'll process into hash or flowers. I'm not talking about breeding cannabis. I mean, you can go out and buy 50 pounds of jelly bean and make hash out of it and sell jelly bean hash, can't you? You can. That's all I'm doing. I prefer to work with strains that I worked with. If my name was on a pack, then I prefer to sell that strain at a dispensary. It's just kind of common sense. And I don't think anybody would deny that I helped develop this stuff. But as far as recreating it, breeding it, I don't, I don't, that's not what I want. I'm not trying to make money off of anybody. All I want is one thing. Yeah, man, the guy worked his ass off for us. Thanks. That's it. Yeah, and I can understand that. If there's a chat room somewhere, it's fucking melting down right now, just so you know. Oh, it's just me and you. <laughs> but I was about to say, I think this is going to be great. I think this is going to... It is what it is. I'm not going to... You know, this morning I was mad and I wasn't going to come on, but I'm not a pussy and I'm not going to dodge all these questions. I don't, I don't, I'm not going... You know, I went to the school of Dank and raised $40,000 for Jinx's organization. Then I went back and did it again. I spent my money on the hotel bills. I spent my money on the weed, the seeds and everything. So if I'm an asshole, I'm an asshole, you know, but I'm pretty sure I was involved and I'm going to take it even further. Farmer John is one of my hash makers here in Arizona, and he was talking to somebody the other day. Some Somebody was online saying, oh, and he said, you know what? I was there. I fucking watched Sub teach these people. I watched him take the fucking plant and put it in place A by plant B and show, teach. He said, he said it to me. He said, Sub, I was there. It made me feel good. You know, he wasn't trying to start an argument. He was like, Sub, you did help these people. And I was like, thank you, John. Yeah, I can understand that.
So I think maybe a, a nice way to end up this general thread would be just to say that many of the breeders who were formerly under the label have gone on to obviously achieve success in their own right. And that's got to make you proud seeing as you were involved in it. But another thing is that a lot of the work does have remnants of TGA lines you created. And so surely it must be rewarding twofold because, you know, you've helped them to achieve their own success and there's some of your own work embedded within theirs. I'll tell you something right now. Quantum Kush by Homegrown Natural Wonders is the single most potent plant I've ever grown in my life. And you should buy it from an Odie. It is fucking knock your dick in the goddamn dirt potent. Over 30%. Um, my time rec male was used to breed it. And there was some controversy on that. Um, me and dioxide um, grew out a 10 pack of plants. And that is where the time rec plant came from. I showed Joel how to pick the last male plant that shows sex. I showed him the difference between a cordage male plant and a sex plant, a, a, a uh, excuse me, a drug recessive plant. And that plant went around and is still used today. And that's it. I said, I don't want it. it. Go buy a quantum cush. It'll knock your fucking dick in the dirt. Go buy Dr. Who. It's awesome. They both were created with a time wreck male. That's it. So this is going to sound like a weird question, but I heard this and I, I don't think there's any particular good spot to slot it in. So I'm just going to slot it in right now. Uh, I heard that um, some bikies came up to a TGA booth at one of the cups and said, stop using the Hells Angels name. And is Not that true. is there any truth to that? Not true. No? Not true. Have you heard that story? I have heard that story. That's not. Do you, do you have any idea where it maybe comes from? Yeah, troll rumors. It's that's not the Hell's OG cut doesn't belong to Hell's Angels. Like they live right next door to me. They don't give a shit about a cut. Give me a break. Yeah. It's just the name Hell's Angels named at Harborside. I mean, it's not it's not nearly as deep as you think. And I'll tell you something, blow your mind. We lost the Hell's OG cut last year at one of our breeding facilities. So the eight thousand Jesus OG seeds that exist today, that's it. Okay. And so would you ever look to recreate it or are you of the opinion if something kind of leaves like that, you just want to move on? Well, here's my smart ass answer. I think as it dies off, we'll find a new OG male and we'll kill Jesus. And then when we make a new one, we'll resurrect him. <laughs> but <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Okay. Uh, my new business is growing cannabis. I don't need to make seeds. Um, we are now germinating 1,000 Jesus OG seeds and finding the best two phenotypes. Those phenotypes will be logged into Phylos, uh, Candor, um, testing labs, be listed, um, trademarked as our clone and protected. And then that clone will be grown and sold in, in, in dispensaries and my company name will go on them. It'll be grown under something called the Dank Standard, which sets minimum for terpenes, um, cannabinoids, and, and sets a standard for not having pesticides. And we test everything three times. And so before long, we hope that you'll be able to go to a dispensary and buy a, a cannabis product that's in a nitrogen-filled box that was prepared by a professional that is the exact same cannabis that you will buy in Colorado um, Oregon, Washington, and California. And the way we can do this is we are setting up these facilities in each state. So I'm in Arizona now. I'm a DA. I can sell to all 131 dispensaries and I can buy from 131 dispensaries. Um, I'm setting the same thing up in Nevada right now and also in Northern California. So we grow the cannabis in the facility there. The seeds are put out there. The clones are put out there. And we're not crossing state lines. We don't even change banks. 
The money from Colorado stays in a Colorado bank and stays in a Colorado company. This was all formed by my partner, TGA Will, and three lawyers who came up with what they say is a landmark way of doing business. Instead of growing cannabis in one area and shipping it to another, we're going to set a set of standards to produce it. Um, and I don't know if you're watching me, but we hit 96% THCA today with CBDA. I don't even know what the hell it is. So we are knocking the charts off with quality. The stuff was tested three times. We, we spent $3,000 testing the cannabis flowers. And then we're testing the, the extracts twice. The reason I'm doing this is because Arizona specifically has no testing, no state testing, and people are smoking poo stew and avid and all kind of shit. And we go out and buy cannabis, we test it. And we make sure that it doesn't have mold and trash, and that's the cannabis we use. Uh, the time of, of selling cannabis with crap on it or grown in, in poorly has got to go. This medicine, it's not medicine for everybody. Some people like to get really fucking stoned. But if you have an autoimmune system, you need to make sure there's not shit on your weed and you make sure there's not Avid or SM90. And it's a set of standards that we are very proud to uphold. And it is, we think is the new future. I do not see the seed business staying where it was in the past. The home of the $5 grams here. So many people in the world used to grow cannabis because that's the only way to get it. It ain't gonna be very long at all. You're gonna be able to go to Walmart and buy weed. You're going to be able to go into a liquor store and buy weed. And Americans generally like to smoke shitty pre-rolls, not good cannabis. So the people who are going to grow cannabis are the people like us that have a very serious passion for it. I think a huge market of people who used to grow recreational, get weed, will just buy it. I mean, growing weed is, is the hard work. It's a lot of dedication. And if they can go buy weed, I think the seed business will fall off. And there's another thing. Clone business has taken off. When I started doing this, you had to buy a seed. You can go buy a clone right now of all 40 of my strains in Sacramento. You can drive to Alpine Alternative and buy the damn clone. You can buy the clone that I selected. You can go get my time wreck that I grow here. So why you need to buy a pack of seeds? So I see a shift. And that's why I'm growing flowers now. I'm still a breeder. Still, I made 12 new strains since my house burned down. But in the old days, we were basically the only seed company other than some Europeans, and there was Cali Connection, and there was DNA. There's 12 new seed companies every day. The market's thin. Without a doubt. Do you feel, though, that part of the drive people have to buy seeds is that there's almost a similarity between, like, gambling? You know, it's like it's a very small risk, but maybe it'll be a really big payoff, and... I, I think that plays into it because I think the majority of people know that their chances of getting something phenomenal from a pack of seeds, you know, like obviously it improves with breeder selection, but for the most part, you know, like you can get clone onlys that'll probably be better than what you get out of most packets. I think that's part of it, but there's an unknown and you guys are going to laugh. Do you know where like, I, I, I'm just going to throw a number out there and y'all can beat me up, but it's probably 30, 40% of the seeds aren't ever grown out. People collect seeds like baseball cards, bro. Wow. Uh, I, Man, I got that. some I got some 2003 black Russian well grow it fuck they're probably bad by now you know yeah <laughs> that's my fear no it's huge I have guys that show me their collection on Instagram and I'm like Jesus dude you own ten thousand dollars worth of seeds yeah big part just gotta hope they pop so with all with all the things you were just mentioning it sounds very much like it's kind of 
the the general industry is moving that way. Something I wanted to mention though is that yourself and a few other companies do outsource some of their strain reproduction to other breeders. This seems to be a growing trend. Do you think that do you agree with that? Do you feel it's a growing trend? And do you feel there are any downsides of this practice? There are downsides. Oh man, that's a great question. So that's one thing that's one of the wonderful things that, that my track he don't even make his own siege. Well we have forty eight strains. And there's not possible to make 48 strains in one location. A. B. We operate in several different locations. California. Arizona. Nevada. So there's that. And you take the simple fact that we like to keep one male in one location. So that we'll mix it up. And the last factor is talent. So my breeder's name is Badger. He's probably one of the best growers I ever met. You know how he got that way? I fucking hand trained him for three years taught him every single thing I know. So now he lives in another place in a nice building and he does exactly what I taught him to do with the exact same clones. So when he makes Jack the Ripper, he makes it just like he did when he was in my basement. Nothing changes. Why would I change that? You with me? Why would I take that incredible talent away? He just created a strain called Queen Anne's Revenge that has more resin on it than I've ever seen in my entire life. He created it with passion. It's not a job for this guy. He's fucking Subcool's breeder. And he happens to be my best friend. And he named his fucking son Montgomery, which is my name. So this isn't some shack in the middle of a fucking field somewhere. This is my fucking brother. So that makes it a little bit different than outsourcing your genetics. Who else makes my genetics? A friend of mine named Northstar. I've known him for 25 years. His house was the house I took a shower in after my house burned down. His kids are my ste- or my godchildren. Again, outsource? Yeah. I talk to these people every single day. And he has 75 mother plants that no one else has. That's why we work with him. Yeah, anyone who's seen uh, North Star's library or his Instagram feed in general, it's, it's quite impressive. To, to be able to work with Happy? Are you kidding me? To be able to call this guy up and say, hey, man, why don't you cross A times B? And he goes, sure, sir. You got it, bro. If we just go back to the the storyline for a moment, let's go back to, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it was shortly after you moved to Oregon. Is this when you popped the packet of Space Queen? Yeah, so great. Oh, man, that's great. So, And by the way, everybody thinks we should stop calling it Space Bomb because nobody knows what it is. It's simple. Vic sent me a pack of Space Queen. When I left the United States, I left all my seeds at Danny's house because I didn't know where the hell I was going. The pack of Space Queen was taped underneath the keyboard. Now, this gets creepy. At Dan or Danny's wake, I had one of my friends go into his office and get all the seeds and send them back to me. Danny would not have wanted them to, to be thrown away. I cracked those seeds, and from that, we found Tiny Bomb, which is a female Space Queen plant. We found C, which we call Cherry, which we have since gotten rid of. And we found The Dude, which is our Space Queen male. We call him The Dude. And he's made over 60% of all our crosses. And I've taken heat and all he does is cross this. Yeah. This is one plant out of a billion for real. You could cross it with a turnip and it would get you high. So that's that's why we use him. He also infuses, excuse me, in, infuses a cherry flavor. So if you have a grape strain and you cross out cross sometimes the strain, it becomes a grape cherry strain. That's how we made cuvee. We took a strain that tasted like chocolate and we crossed it with Space Queen and it tastes like cherries and chocolate. And cuvee is, means to combine two things together that are good to make one better. 
And I would say the chocolate and cherries are better than each one alone. So just to try to set the record straight, it's been alleged that the Space Queen was in fact a C-99 backcross. Is that the case? I, all I can tell you is Vic sent me a pack of scent of steeds that said Space Queen with an ink pen on them. That's the story. Okay. You'd have to ask Vic. And so maybe a, a different way to approach this question and to kind of satisfy some people, if you were to find out that it was, say, a Cindy 99 backcross, would you want to, say, try to rectify the information sources out there? No, I don't, I don't care. And I, that, I, you know, it's funny. I've never even heard that, you know, Vic sent me a pack of seeds in the mail and he said they were space clean. So pretty sure that's what they were. So I'm not aware of this, actually not aware of the C99. That's that's a new one. Okay. So I guess while we're on that general topic, how do you feel about fire loss and about the general kind of testing of plants, finding out their origins? Is it, is it a concept you're in favor of or, cause I know that some people aren't in favor. Where do you sit on that one? We um we are mapping all of our mother plants absolutely, and you're 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 indicating a problem that uh, my ex actually talked about. Um, during all of the testing that we sent into Phylos, one time we actually made a mistake. We did, and we sent the stem of the same fucking plant in each envelope. I don't know if you ever done a Phylos test kit, but you, you have to take a stem and you cut a piece of it off and you wash it with alcohol three times, and that's how you get it there. The guy that did it for me made a mistake. Simply had six bags and he just put one in there. And they turned this into this huge thing. And by the way, tried to destroy the reputation of my company, which is kind of cool being as the other person owns half of the company. But it didn't work because we have two strains that are pretty important. And I love telling a story. So one is called Cuvée. So that's uh, Pinot Noir times Space Queen, which has a cherry flavor. And there's Tinto de Verano, which is taste of summer. And it's Pinot times Jack the Ripper, and it has a lemon taste, and those strains are easy to detect. And if you grow them out, they're there. I got a friend named Eagle right now that's grown out 45 of my strains. I was talking to him last night. I said, well, what do you think of this bullshit? He goes, well, I got Cuvée, and it tastes like chocolate and cherries, and I've won the cup here, and I've got your Tinto, and it's lemon. But even funnier is everything burn up in the damn fire anyway. So now we're dead. We're logging our new mails other than dude. So it is what it is. I checked it again, and it was right. I've taken so much heat on this, I've never actually told them. So we made a mistake on the clipping that was sent in, but not the resulting clone, because the clone gets tested all the time. And when we test our strains that are made with the clones, they test right. Go on Phylos and look. Go look at Jack the Ripper. Go look at Jelly Bean. Go look at all the strains. They're right. But people in the business wanted to turn this into this huge thing because, hey, if you can make Sub look like a dumbass, you can slow his business down and take his business. It is what it is. My friends and my fans that grow my genetics love them. The shops here that grow Jesus and Time Wreck, they, they laugh at this shit. They think it's the biggest internet joke in the world. But it is something I had to address. And that's, that's the very bottom truth of it. The space bomb we have, Jill's got a copy of it. I've got a copy of it. Mendo Dope just pilled a Quirkle Mail because our Quirkle Mail burn up. It's headed to Phylos right now to get tested. Jack the Ripper was pulled by 25 um, from Badger. So we've got three males headed to Phylos right now. We're going to test three and catalog three males and chase them to the system. And we're rebuilding from the fire. So, you know, I think Phylos is a very important mechanism. But I think the other problem with Phylos, if you actually go right now to the Phylos galaxy as a layman and try to read it, you can't understand it. 
because I can't understand it. So I have to ask Nishan, the owner. And me and Nishan are friends, and he's been on the show, and me and um, Phyllis and Subcool Seeds are pretty tight. So that's pretty much it. We'll have all 30 of our moms and dads catalog by the end of the year, and they'll get a hologram certification for our program. And when we take a clone into a shop or something like that, we'll know exactly what it is because it'll carry certification. So the stuff from the old days, it won't be like that anymore because we have open source breeding like we've never had because we can look at it. You guys can go look at it. So I think everybody needs to get involved and, and log their mails. And I got to go back. God's pussy is logged into the Philos for Galaxy, by the way, and I can't change it because I didn't enter it. <laughs> there you go. So go look it up. I, I may have misheard you, but I think you said that you weren't going to get Space Dude tested. No, yeah, and it's in there, Space Dude. Oh, okay, yes. I was just going to say, if so, why was that? I was thinking maybe, I was going to say, is it is it possible to maybe try to like propagate a clone from just a cutting? Because if so, I could understand why you'd not want to send your prize mail in. <laughs> yeah. No, and no, they can do that. And here's another thing. It's kind of cool. We know now that we can actually take a plant and bring it down to a cell cryo cloning you know and you can ship the cell i mean it's we could talk about this for hours but if you can take a plant down to a single cell and put it in a cryo share and ship it you can ship a cell it ain't a plant so we can move genetics nowadays i mean I, you'd have to get a lawyer involved to talk about the rest of it but as far as the ability in a fucking heartbeat you can ship a cell and a cell can be propagated so that's going to be the new a new thing of cannabis is coming pretty soon and that's cellular cloning. The clone is going to be able to be moved around the world. And we see this coming in the next five years. Yeah. Okay. So I did have another one or two questions on Space Queen I wanted to bash out before we move on. One of the common sentiments I've heard is that some people feel the repetitiveness of Space Queen across multiple different strains can kind of just ultimately lead to, if you were to say grow out a few packets of TGA, you might find those more Space Queen phenos popping up repetitively, which is obviously to be expected. Do you feel like that is a little bit of a detriment, like in that if I were to say grow three or four packs of TGAs, I could end up with, say, half of them being essentially really similar? No, not even close. You can go in any dispenser in America and look at all 40 of my strains. They're not the same. It's in a vortex is Apollo 13 times Space Queen. It tastes like baby puke and peaches. It's got a very pronounced sick, sickly smell, but in a good way. Jack the Ripper smells like lemons. It's pure lemons. Cuvée is also, these are all Space Queen crosses. It smells like chocolate with cherries. Every single one of them has a distinct profile, and that's because the mother plants are so strong. I can differentiate. I can take five jars and differentiate from them. Now, do all of my strains have a fruity, pungent, pukey smell yeah i like that shit i don't like fuel i don't like goober's rag i mean we have a kim d time jack the ripper which is brutal i don't like it i don't like grease that's a personal thing when i started breeding this is what i wanted grape lemon banana lime orange cherry and melon i wanted a rainbow and i fucking did it yeah, undeniably some very tasty weed, which kind of brings us to another question. I think this this one definitely depends on kind of the lens in which you view the question. But another kind of sentiment you commonly hear from people is that TGA strains, extremely tasty, but generally not the most potent. Have you heard this sentence? And how would you respond to that? 
I would respond to the Jesus I ran today for extract tested at 26% and dumped a fucking pile of crystalline like you've never seen in your life. So I call bullshit. So what I was going to, what I was thinking was in a way though, I guess the other way to view it is even if, even if you did kind of think, oh, well, even if that's the case, there's a certain niche because the follow-up statement that people will say is a lot of people I know really like the TGA strains because they're not just going to like make you totally retarded and they've got a lot of flavor and, you know, it's a good, often a good, like this, this might land me a bit of heat, but it's like, it's good weed to like get people into maybe the more obnoxious stuff like the gassy stuff and all of that. Do you feel like there is a market there to fill like someone who's looking for the most tasty weed and, you know, that's their main criteria? I, that's great. You were, really, you were really good at this, just so you know. Yeah, I mean, there is a reason we have 48 strains on our menu. And, you know, not everybody wants to smoke Vortex and be scared shitless and puke on the ground like Matt Rise did when he smoked a joint with me. You can smoke a joint of chili bean and lay around and want to fuck. You can smoke some Quirkle and kind of lay around on the couch and just be mellow. They're all different. There's, I mean, they're not just all cannabis. So we call it cannabis, but there's reasons. Cheesequake is one of my favorites. Cheesequake is in the 18 to 21% range according to how you grow it. So it doesn't blister your forehead or make you scared. But it's got a nice Danish taste. It rolls around your tongue. And the mercium in the, in the, from the quirkle brings an overall calming to you. So, so when you smoke it, you're relaxed. But you're not scared shitless and you can focus like like my jack's cleaner too you couldn't type on jack's cleaner too if you had to your vision blurs you can't see very well and you can't focus but you take another strain of mine like third dimension which is done in like 49 days it has a very coconut pineapple kind of flavor i can smoke that shit all day i wouldn't call it weak it's just a different way of, of, of profile so what you say definitely has a lot of truth and, you know, I don't think cannabis is all about just getting blasted. I mean, I get up in the morning, love to smoke some of the, the, the more sativa mixed hybrids. Chili bean in the morning makes me laugh and giggle and shit. But, like, if you smoke Vortex in the morning, you wouldn't want to get in your damn car. You'd be going, oh, why are they following me and shit? So, to me, cannabis is not just a medicine and a recreation. It's a sacrament. So, if I want to trip, then I'm going to take something that's like that. But if I want to listen to you know peter frampton and lay around and make out then i'm going to pick another kind of weed so to me cannabis is just all over the place and you know that's what we talk about we talk about the cannabis that actually you know makes you smarter apollo i'll never forget when i was making the apollo 13 bx i'd be online typing and i'd be staring at a cursor if you write you know that blinking cursor and i would say i'm gonna smoke a bowl and the next thing you would hear is typing it was literally, I, I was like, wow, I can just make one bowl of this Apollo 13 and start typing. So I don't think you can categorize any cannabis as one thing. Yeah, I think that's a really good answer. So something I did want to ask you is, what do you think outside of, say, Space Dude and Space Queen would be a strain that you think really nicely embodies TGA seeds? Quirkle. Quirkle was a project. I mean, I, Quirkle's, you know, somebody called fake ass, fake ass Urkel the other day. Well, I mean, we know it's not. We know it's Urkel because it's just tested. And it's the same one that three of us use. Um, Joel didn't even get his from me. They just happened to be the same plant. But what I wanted when I made Quirkle was a breeding plant. I wanted a way to a paintbrush of purple and grape. Well, Urkel's a female plant, and I don't believe in feminizing. So I was like, well, what can I do? 
was like, well, what about if I outcross her time space queen? Cool. And then since space queen is cherry and not colored and Urkel is grape and colored, as we look at the progeny, we can see the variance. If it's really fucking purple and short, it's Urkel dominant. If it's really limey green and cherry and tall, it's space queen dominant. And you can see it. You can also see the males. Now, I'm not going to get into the discussion on male selection because that's another game. But you can see the coracle dominant males and you can see the space queen dominant males. So if you want to breed something and you want to make it grape, like we make, uh, we just took and we made grape goo. So we took an af gooey and we crossed it times a purple coracle male. The thing actually gets purple leaves. It has a very grape scent. It's very indica dominant and has a ton of mercium in it. So with that male, we can control the flow of the strain. Do we want it to taste great? Conversely, we also have a corkle male um, that is a cherry flavor and produces more resin. It tends to make a strain less um, short. It, it tends to leg out a little bit. It has larger trichome heads and the trichomes themselves have a larger amount of liquid in them. So as a grower breeder, these are traits I can literally see. So in order to make something, I had to create Quirkle. So I had to make a seed that would grow a plant that was a male plant. And that male plant would either give the attributes of purple, grape, or cherry. And that's how you control a breeding program. I had to make Quirkle in order to make anything. I couldn't make cheesequake without making Quirkle. And cheesequake's grown by everybody. It's big and chunky. It's a fun strain to grow. Mendo Dub loves growing it. They got 12 pounds on their outdoor. And all I did was create a male plant and then cross it times cheese. And so using that formula, I can do it times everything. Anything you have that you want me to turn purple and give it a great flavor, I can do so. So I can take something that's lemon and I can make grape lemons. I can take something that's cherry. I can make grape cherry. Or if I want to make it more cherry, I'd use the cherry male. Did I lose you? No, 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 no. I'm just trying to take it all in. <laughs> yeah. So that's, it's, it's to me, a male plant is a paintbrush. Okay, perfect. So uh, one of the earliest kind of tips, I don't know if you'd call it a tip on breeding, but I just, I, I vividly remember it from the Weednet episode. And I think you said it in a few. You said something to the effect of, you think that the male brings generally potency and the female brings more of a structure. I might be, you know, getting that vaguely Opposite. wrong. Opposite. Opposite. Yeah. Sorry. Opposite. I, was I might get something wrong about it. Do you, do you think that holds generally true? Yeah. The, the male has, the male, in my opinion, provides cordage and structure. Um, it also provides pest resistance, but nobody ever talks about the male plants there. I mean, cannabis is depletious and, and the male plant and the female plant are there for a reason. And in my opinion, when we feminize a plant, and I'm, I got lots of friends that do it, we're we're presenting a slightly less quality version. I think that nature would always make a better version. And I, that hybrid vigor is what I've always liked. You don't get it when you feminize seeds. So I, I've just always believed that you have to work with the, the real male plant that has the 10 chrome, so the mix with the other 10 on the female. That picks a displacious train. So those genes mix together, and you get the hardiness from the male plant with the potency of the female plant, with the pest resistance of the male plant, with the resin production of the female plant. It's a fucking puzzle, and it's why it's called breeding. And it ain't pollen chunking. You got to know what you're doing. And how you know what you're doing is you make 97 strains, and that's how many I've made. And so I think 
something which might jump to mind for people who are paying attention is that the the number you just quoted is obviously a lot more than what's been at market. So obviously you've you've culled some that didn't make it. What for you is the process of deciding whether a pack makes it to market? For example, a, a really sen- a sentiment that I really like was Bodie said that he pops a 10-pack, just a single 10-pack to kind of get a feel for what the customer would experience. And if he's not happy with that, then he feels it's probably not good for market. Where do you sit on this one? Well, about 12 years ago, we saw a problem with people buying 10-packs at the shows for $120. So we created the five-pack. And the way we created the five-pack is we grew out tons of our strains, five seeds. We wanted to make sure we got a keeper out of five seeds. And we do. If the five-pack theory didn't work, my ass wouldn't be living in this house I paid for i'm a profitable businessman if the five packs sucked we wouldn't sell them and so yes Bodie's right you have to have a customer get what he wants out of that pack if he doesn't get a representation out of it then he's not going to be a happy customer and five's tough they don't get it i'll usually replace them but it works all over the place i mean it works so testing's huge so if you don't know this we grow all of our strains ourselves and then we send 1,000 seeds into the ethernet and we watch we watch instagram and we watch Facebook and we watch roll it up and they tell us and it's instantaneously you start hearing it. It's like a rumble. It's really good. It's like grapes, stable, yield. And if you hear the opposite, yeah, wasn't very good. Didn't look very good, which has rarely happened in us. And you know, they go the other way, but you mentioned something else. Culling. Culling happens a lot when you get busted. I've been busted four times. It happens. We lost Danny Boy in a bus. We lose things, which leads to um, most of breeders nowadays hold our clones. So Duke Diamond with uh, um, Dominion Dominion Seed Company. I'm sorry, just left soul. He has my Jack Sweener. Um, uh, Trichome Jungle Seeds in Europe. He has my Jack Sweener. But fuck, you talking about getting a clone somewhere. That took a while. So these clones are alive and they'll be there for a while. Next year, I'd like to take these clones and get them into Fino Seed Bank, into their uh, cryocellular thing, so that when I pass on, these clones or these, these genetics are available for life. And me and Will are setting up a trust that lasts 500 years just so that this stuff will live on. Wow. So, I mean, you just referenced Trichome Jungle, a good friend of mine, and more so a man near and dear to my heart, Duke Diamond. He actually told me that um, you were the one who put him in contact with Soul, and that kind of led to the, the resurrection of Brothers Grimm a few years ago. Well, how did that all go about? Well, let's just say the phone call from Subcool carries a lot of fucking weight. That's it. That's old. This guy's a friend of mine. He needs a job. He got a job. I still do it. I today. I can pick. I mean, love or hate me. If I call you on the phone and ask you a favor, you're probably going to answer the phone, and I'm probably going to have a good reason for calling you. You're probably going to listen to me, and that was the case. Soul. This guy's awesome. Duke Diamond. Great. Let's go together. Tommy thanks me all the time. Yeah, it certainly got them both launched again in on their own respective platforms, which I think is a good outcome nonetheless. So, something I just wanted to loop back on quickly, just as a bit of a pot question, when Space Queen was first released, did it stand out to you? Was it something which caught your eye, or was it only really until you popped your pack that it really kind of started to gain traction for you? To this day, the Space Bomb male we pulled out of there is still Jill's favorite strain on the planet. That says a lot. 
I mean, thousands of seeds we crack. That one female plant is still our favorite. Yeah, it's, it stood out. It still stands out. I mean, a quarter pound of, of tiny bomb grown properly, it's it's hard to believe it looks like pot. I mean, it's got so much resin on it and smells so crazy. I mean, it's like, wow, this smells like cherry candy and it's got sugar all over it and it's not even hard to grow. I mean, you stick it in super soil and you harvest it at eight weeks. Duh. It's like you top it, you harvest it. You get two pounds of light every time. Yeah. And so I guess maybe what I'm kind of getting at is, do you think it had much of a, a following before you popularized it? I don't think so. Cause Vic was kind of a cult kind of thing. I mean, Vic, you had to know Vic and Vic was an asshole. And you know, Vic died last week. Did you know that? I, I saw that on Instagram. That's really sad to hear. His, um, there was this kid, I'm sorry. I'm going to dirt first a little bit. There's a kid, this hang, a kid, there's a guy that hangs around in one of my chats. And he's, he's pretty intelligent. He's, you know, I got to know him very well. And he, you know, he said, Vic's my uncle. And I said, you bullshit. And he, he told me enough stuff that convinced me that Vic was his uncle. And, and he was going to see him. I love this story. So he told me that he told Vic this up, cool, said hi. And he said, he just started kicking and that, you know, just all agitated. And all pissed off. <laughs> so, but no, I don't think a lot of people in this space, man. And I, I'll tell you this. I don't think that that pack of seeds and that male is, some magical ethos or something. I think I worked hard. I think I took the strain and I made a shitload of genetics and I ground my ass out for seven days a week for years and years to where you actually heard about me and invited me on this show. And I think any business is like that. It takes a person that works his ass off. And that's why you know about space clean. I don't think anybody else breeds with it. But I mean, there's there's 50 threads right now on the internet. You can go sub cool, grow space queen, tiny bomb. I mean, just I used to sit and grow and write, sit and grow and write. So, just as a personal question, because I would very much say to people that if I had to kind of attribute what my influences are for this show, I would say Adam Dunn show and the Weed Nerd. So I've got to ask, wh what kind of inspired you to start the show? Ob obviously, you had the passion for it, but what made you decide to go? I'm going to actually turn this into a media format rather than just a written format. Well, we got to back up a little bit. Remember that, that thing that I talked about, it's a little embarrassing that I don't feel, uh, feel like I belong. Well, when talking to the camera made me feel like I belong. And so I did the weed nerd camera. I was, we lived in Oregon. I had a little office. I grew weed. I didn't leave very often. Um, you know, chill did her thing with the kids and I stayed out there locked in the garage and I didn't have anything to do. So I listened to music and I started the, you know, the recorded weed nerd and I, and I had a lot of fun with it, but the current weed nerd, which is the live show was inspired by the grow to round table, crazy Dago. After my house burned down, I was at his house. He's let me stay at his house for a couple of weeks and on Friday night he has a show. And I was like, you do it live. He's like, yes. You don't record it. Yeah. Now as a problem, the old show, I use music. And a lot of the weed nerds can stick up. There's certain bands like don't ever play Foo Fighters, but you can play Chili Peppers. You can play K. You just learn this. You, you can play them off of YouTube and they won't copyright it. But if you play Foo Fighters off of YouTube on a YouTube video, they will ban your account, which is what happened to me. I was live streaming, playing the new Foo Fighters video on YouTube, off of YouTube. And they crushed the stream and they killed my live stream for 90 days. But having said that, it Dago, Dago taught me about the live stream and Bubble Man. Bubble Man's format is something that I watched and I I think it's stiffer than mine. I mean, I yell fuck at my fans. I toss people out. I'm the Howard Stern of my show. 
He's much more structured and classy. But I will tell you, for all the people that say I'm an asshole, my fans love it. They pick on me and try to get me to throw them out. They they try to get me to rant on them. They they ask me stupid questions, so I'll yell and holler at them. They go, oh, I'm just fucking with you. So it's a it's a show. It's not reality. I'm not. I don't scream and yell fuck in real life all the time. No, it's that's a show. And I, I've taken Bubble Man and Crazy Dago and Vader and Fagoli and Mouse and other people like that and formed my own character. And I'm gonna say it one more time. I do it because I'm lonely. I need human interaction. It's a self fulfilling thing. When I have 200 people watching me and we're listening to music and we're talking. I would rather do that than watch TV or read or just about anything. And because of my position, it's kind of a job too. I teach people how to grow cannabis. I give free seeds to any sick person that needs them. No questions asked. I raise money for people who are sick. And that platform, which is the weed nerd, allows me to do it. So I think some some of the critics and a point you know brought up in the thread is it seems to be unclear how much of the work was done by you and how much of the work was done by Miss Jill. A lot of people seem to think she doesn't get enough share of the credit. Do you think that's truthful? And, you know, is there any, do you want to kind of give her credit for some things and like make it clear that that's what she did or it, it was it all by you? Where do you sit on that? I will not speak about Jill. I'm in the middle of a brutal divorce uh, revolving around millions of dollars. I won't speak about it. righty. So... Something I noticed myself was that Jilly Bean, Jilly Bean has kind of got a bit of a cult following around it. I think it's because both the orange and the mango of both the parents meld together well. But at the same time, I think it's also because there's a little bit of, you know, a shroud of mystery around orange velvet. Are you willing to comment on orange velvet at all? Like, do you, do you think it, it is skunk? And why do you think Jilly Bean is such a successful strain? I will not comment on Jill or Jilly Bean in this interview. Sorry. No worries. One of the rumors that has been going around was that at some point, I believe Jack's cleaner mail was supposedly lost and a space queen took its place. Do you no, know that's anything? the Yeah, that's the phylos sample I told you about. Ah, it's a that's piece what of happened. Stem that was sent in. So the current TGA setup appears to have Jill in Oregon, you in Arizona. Is the plan to go forward with both of you contributing under the same TGA banner? Mm, I can't answer that question, buddy. I, I can I can make a statement if you want to make me laugh. Yeah, you can say whatever you want. So I own uh, Subcool um, Seeds um, and Subcool.com. It is mine um, outright. Um, me and Jill share ownership of TGA and I can't. I don't know what will happen. Um, what I hope is that Jill will be incredibly successful and make Jilly Bean and make Agent Orange and make tons of strains and help tons of people and be happy and, and find happiness in life. That's what I want. That's a good answer. So, so just before, you expressed that you weren't particularly into the idea of feminized seeds. I've got to imagine there's a pretty decent demand for some fems from you. Would you ever consider it or are you just not looking to do it? No, it's, it would, it's number one, I don't believe in it. Um, so I don't know if you know, there are companies that make $50 million a year selling seeds to Morocco, feminized seeds to make ash. It's well, certainly on the table for me. I've been offered it. I don't believe in it. And I certainly don't believe in making a billion seeds to send over to Morocco to make ash out of them because they don't care that they are hermaphrodite or not. 
It's just not my game. Two things happened in my breeding career, and they would not have happened without Joel of North Star Genetics, and I have to make sure I give him credit. And we created Deadlights. So with Deadlights, it's 26, 27, 28% CBD. I don't give a shit what anybody says about me. At 56 years old, I offer a strain that is above 27% CBD. I'm good. Yeah, that's. I didn't think I've ever heard of CBD that high, really. Like a couple of years, we had to make Pennywise. We had to get the ACDC. We had to back cross. We had to test. We had to lose a Pennywise mail. We had to refire it. My house burned down. I had to. Re- I mean, it's work. It's like I told you before. Work is work. But right now, I have deadlights, and deadlights test over and over above twenty. And you can literally go Google the shit or Instagram or whatever you surf it, and you'll find. Well, right now, lab reports above 27%. I got one on my phone. I would say that is success. I would say that prison terms and trolls and hates and divorce and everything that's gone on, I created a strain that helps people heal. That's what I do. That's my, that's my passion. Another thing we haven't talked about is charity. I give away so much. I mean, yeah, I have a nice car. I have nice things. I have money. I work really hard, seven days a week, 18 hours a day. Last night, I was up till 2.30, and I got up at 6 this morning. Don't accuse me of not working. But if you ask me for something, I will give it to you. If you need something, I will give it to you. It's that simple. If you ask me kindly, I would give any human being anything. Kids, poor people. I mean, we're turning the the pool room into RSO. If you didn't know, my giant pool full of weed, we're going to turn it into RSO and give it the fuck away here in Arizona. That's what we're doing. That's that's a really nice sentiment, and I'm sure a lot of people will benefit from that. I've I've got to ask though, what's with the pool? Like, you know, beyond the obvious, like, is it just to prove a point at this point? Yeah, I'm having a blast, dude. I got a pool in my house with like 30 pounds of weed in it. Do you? It's awesome. <laughs> Sadly, not. It's got a stereo. We go hang out. We 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 get our beach chairs and we smoke bowls and we look at the weed and we teach people how to grow weed. And I got a dab bar. You can come over and get hot at my dab bar, and we can talk about blah. I mean, seriously. But the story is true. When I moved in here, I have alpha-1, which is a progressive fatal lung disease. I have the lungs of a 105-year-old man. I don't breathe at all. I can't walk upstairs. I can't carry bags of concrete. I don't do a lot but talk and yell at people and, and point my finger at things nowadays. And so that's just something I have to deal with, you know, of having alpha. So that has formed almost everything I do in life, um, the, the, the not being able to get around and everything. So that's kind of how I ended up where I'm at now. So it's just something you deal with on a daily basis. I've, you, I mean, anyone who follows your stream would see, you know, you post regularly of the, uh, the infusions you have to have to keep on top of that. Do you find that that's helping you? Because I remember, and maybe you can clarify this for me, it's probably two or three years ago now, maybe a little less even. I remember that you were saying that just even generally smoking, it was really quite irritating for the lungs and stuff. Whereas, you know, forgive me if I'm mistaken, I think I see you puffing every now and again. Do you think things are a little better than what they were a while ago? Like, and is that due to the medication or? No, I, it's a great it's a great story and leads me into I, I wanted to tell a story here. So when I was diagnosed, uh, they told me I should never smoke again because I had lung disease and I quit smoking. And uh, within a couple of weeks, I'm, I'm a very nervous person. So I, I bought some wine and I drank it. And I, and I don't like wine. I tried. I had me a glass and a corkscrew and I bought wine. I bought cheap wine. I bought expensive wine. I fucking hated it. So I bought some beer one day and I liked beer and I drank beer. And then I drank alcohol, Ciroc specifically, a couple fifths a day. And I turned my life into a toilet. 
And then one day I decided, I said, well, fuck, man, I'm killing myself. I should smoke weed again. And so I started smoking weed, even though the doctors told me not to. Now, I smoke only hash, generally, teeny, teeny hits in a little bitty pipe. I don't dab, overheat. I have a specific way of smoking. It's almost a vaporizing method I do with my pipe. But within a couple of weeks of doing that, I was able to quit drinking and quit doing drugs, and I became my old self. I felt normal again. So I smoke hash in spite of the fact that I'm not supposed to. Nobody with a lung disease should smoke anything. But I am a miserable fuck when I don't smoke cannabis. I'm a hateful, mean asshole. So I smoke cannabis. And that's it. That was that's been a year in my life off of cannabis and my when I was sick and it sucked. Now, the reason I can do better now is I moved out of Northern California. The weather in Northern California was crushing me. Um, the humidity, all that. It's dry here. And and I, I got lost because I'm a little high. The pool. So I drained the pool because Alpha One sucks and the moisture was making it hard for me to breathe. So I drained the pool. So I'm standing around the pool one day and somebody on Instagram said, <laughs> remember Cheech and Chong? Well, of course I remember Cheech and Chong. The Iguana Gun, I can recite the movie. <laughs> so somebody said, you should grow weed in the pool. So I said, yeah, we should. So we built a floor and we started and somebody said, 300 people commented. Either I was a genius or I was the dumbest redneck in history. So I took that as a challenge. Can't grow pool, weed in the pool. So we're growing weed in the pool and we're sponsored by Smart Pots and Hortolux and Solatech and Method 7 and Hydrofarm. And yeah, it's an amazing thing. And guess what? Everybody on the fucking planet knows Subcool's got a pool full of weed. And that's another part of what we do. This whole craziness, like, like I'm going to tell you something about your thread today, okay? That little thing you put up at your avatar, what was there, 170 comments, right? I think so, yeah. Guess what, bro? They're talking about me. So, it doesn't matter what they're saying. They're talking about you. It's business. Yeah, all publicity is good publicity. Sorry. So if you guys want to keep it up, when you log on to a thread and 160 times type my name, I probably sold a whole shitload of stuff today. Thank you very much. I appreciate the advertising. It's kind of on that topic. What's it like to have the TGA brand extending into the European market? Do you find the demands are different or the same? Because the thing that I've seemed to notice from my very limited interactions with the European market is they tend to be more focused on the Terps. And so with that being said, I would imagine TGA does fairly well. Yeah. And I, I will say that, it, and God, I got out of habit. I, it's Subcool Seeds. I actually changed the name of the company and I own Subcool Seeds. So that, that's just the thing. So the Subcool strains are, yeah, there's, there's a reason your buddy with Tricone Drumble Seeds grows some of my gear. There's a reason. Because he likes the Terps. There's a reason that some of the hash makers use my stuff. Because they like the weird, comical, uh, cherrygasm. Do you know about cherrygasm? I've heard of it. I've heard of it. <sighs> are you sure. kidding me? Fuck. It makes white rosin that crystallizes it comes out and it'll turn in those little thca crystals if you press it right it tastes like cherry sap it, it it's this side of having an orgasm to take a hit of it that's why we call it cherry gasm i'm not kidding i have friends that come in my house and they're just like as a matter of fact when i moved here there was a guy that was making sugar wax i bought all he had at full retail it wasn't tested i didn't i was like can i taste that he's like i said jesus christ man that tastes like smoking candy can I have more? So it's just one strain, cherrygasm. And by the way, we lost cherrygasm in the fire. 
Scotty016 was nice enough to bring the Cherry Pie OG back to Joel. He has the Space Dude mail. We just released Cherry Gasm again. Fuck you, Fire. Ain't no fire gonna take me out. <laughs> so one of the claims I've seen raised by critics is that I mean, well, let me put it this way. You've made it clear that certain strains were discontinued because the mothers were gone. Is that the case that pretty much all the discontinued strains fall under that umbrella or were some of them pulled from the market because there were issues that weren't realized until after release? No, I've never had an issue with a strain. I've, I've had strains that were better. So like Pandora's Box. We took Pandora's Box off the menu because it's a back cross of JTR. It's very similar to JTR. I don't to bullshit you. If you grew JTR and you grew Pandora's Box, you'd be like, man, these things are very similar. That Pandora's Box right there is a lot like that Jack the Ripper female. And all it is is a more stabilized version. So we took it off the menu. Guess what? We just brought it back on the menu. You want to know why? Because 10 times a week, somebody goes, bring back, bring that. Here's some ones. Jack's Cleaner Blueberry. I tried for five years to make a blueberry flavored strain. Every time I grow blueberry in super soil, it pushes it in hermaphrodites. I used to think that blueberry was a hermaphrodite strain. I've taken heat on it. It's not. It's a low feeding strain. If you put it in super soil, you push it all the time. I didn't know that back then. I only know that now. So I kept working with it and I kept trying to create something. And I thought I was creating herms because fucking males kept messing up and the females kept messing up. It's too strong. So I spent five years trying to do one thing and it didn't work. I took the Space Queen male, crossed it times Jack's cleaner, and we made Jack the Ripper. And you can say what you want. I mean, Jack the Ripper test at 6% for THCV, and you can't go in the shop here and not buy it. I would say it was a successful cross. Without a doubt. So something I'm always interested in is deeply embedded within that cross is the Pluton genetics, which I remember you told the story, and I think you said that your friend sent you some of the working parts, so I don't think you actually work specifically with the Pluton. But do, do you think that that comes through at all in the cross, or do you think it's more of a, a, a structural, like, you know, like it's embedded in there, but you don't see it particularly? I think Jack's Cleaner is heavy on Northern Lights. So the, the story is my friend Scoosh, who passed away two years ago. By the way, all my friends are dying because we're all old. But Scoosh, excuse me, Scoosh sent me a 100 Scoosh, 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 Scoosh seeds. And that's what it is. It's Northern Lights times Pluton. It's that, it's that thing you see me type. Northern Lights time Pluton time Haze time. That's that's what he sent me. That's what he told me it was. And so I grew him out and I got this amazing female plant called Cleaner. I mean, it was the best female out of 100 seeds. Some of the females out of that pack were shite. I mean, they just were. They weren't any good. The one was exceptional. And at the time, I had a major fascination for Jack Hare. And I had grown out a pack of Jack Hare from Cincy Seeds. I picked the last female to, excuse me, the last male to show sex and I pollinate it. I made Jack's cleaner. At the time, I was heavy into drugs, steroids, fast cars, women, cocaine, and I lost the seeds. I have no idea where they were. But that Jack's cleaner female was giving us a couple of friends of mine, and when I got my shit back together, it, sta it stayed around. I passed it out to everybody I, that could, could get it. Just like Soul passes out his A13 so people don't lose it. So who do you think are some of the breeders who are still around now, but maybe just largely go unnoticed by the masses? I don't think there is such a thing. And we're all players now. Kyle Cushman has a giant contract. Duke has a giant contract. Soul has a giant contract with Cinderella. He grows cannabis and sells it across the nation. 
And I have a little statement. So there was only one Snoop Dogg. And there was only one Willie Nelson. But there's a bunch of pot growers. And that's what you're going to see. You're going to see people aligning themselves with someone. I, I have four felonies and everybody knows who I am. So it was really easy for these guys to come and pick me up. And trust me, they know all this 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 drama that, that revolves around me and the divorce and Jill and all the things that happened to me. And they fucking laugh. Like, I must have heard Subcool's name 35 times today. So that's why they picked me. Soul has the same power. Duke, I mean, tell me you wouldn't want Duke Diamond breeding for you and putting his name on some strain. Of course you do. But I think that's what you're going to see moving forward. Anyone that has done anything of fame is going to align themselves with a company or a shop. Um, hell, Kyle just got a massive contract with Hydro Farm. So he's going to be the Hydro Farm spokesman. The fuck does that have to do with growing pot? Nothing. He likes Hydroform lights. So he's going to tell people they're good lights. I do the same thing every day. I got a big sign hanging in my house. So it's just a new, the branding thing, the lining thing, the outlaw thing, days are gone. They just are. It is a time of paying taxes and businesses and working with other people. We work with a greenhouse here. We buy their cannabis and we sell our products at their store. We've collaborated together. We're putting all their bud tenders in our uniforms and some of their our people in their uniforms. And it's the only way you can move forward in this industry is to work with people that, that, that you can get along with and, you know, pump it up. So it's Saturday, we're going to drop our sauce for the first time. 96% THC isolate with CBDA, whatever that is. We've got nine pound hammer, Jesus and girl time. Um, we've pre-sold couple of hundred units and we're going to show up at 11 o'clock and i'm gonna sign books i'm gonna pass out things and we'll be friendly it's, you know this is working it's it's a form of work that i enjoy we have like a willy wonka thing everybody gets a box and whoever gets the special box gets a book a dank books are almost gone by the way i have 12 left and that's the only ones left and then um you know give some pipes away just give some cool stuff away give a fan the experience because for as much hard ass questions as you have asked me today, when I go in PP public, people still walk up to me and treat me with massive respect. People shake my hand and they thank me for teaching them how to grow and teaching them how to maybe buy a house or pay their taxes or do something right. So uh, I enjoy what I do very, very much. And it's very rewarding to, to have so many people, you know, look up to me. I can't tell you how many people say, Hey man, you told me how to make super soil and then you taught me how to clone and I own a seed company now. It's so many people and I'm not trying to take extra credit. If you catch me right now tonight after the show in my stream and you ask me a question about growing, I will answer it. That's what I do. And so I noticed in the past you had done some kind of seminar things. You even referenced it in regards to the Jinx charity. Do you plan to do any more of these going forward? No, um, my health really, I really shouldn't go around a ton of people. Um, I shouldn't travel. If I get a cold, like if I get a cold or flu because I got on a plane or traveled, I have to go to the hospital. So alpha is not a joke. If anybody wants to Google alpha one, it's the progressive fatal lung disease and it's brutal. So yeah, getting a cold is not good for me. Most people that have what I have die because they get a, a virus or a flu. So I don't fly all over the place and I don't generally 
I didn't go to Kushstock this weekend. I wanted to so bad. I hope there are people listening that know about this. They're like, Sub said he was going to Kushstock and he fucking let us down. Man, I wanted to go so bad. I really did. It's a fucking smoky ass building seven hours away. Fucking hot as shit. It would have been detrimental to my health. There's no way I can stand in a hot ass dusty building breathing smoke. And so at the last minute I bailed. And people think I'm being wrong. I'm sorry. I was, I really, I was like, oh God, I want to go be sub cool. Can I please go stand in public and pass out seeds and have people shake my hand and pat me on the back? But I made the choice not to. High times in San Bernardino, it's kind of the same thing. So I've been invited to be a judge there and I've been invited to be a judge at Chalice and I've been invited to speak at both places and we may do Chalice. But on the 20th, me and Will have a grand opening. We're dropping sauce in 12 dispensaries here in Arizona. So I don't really have time to go talk, and you can watch me talk 40 hours a week. You just have to watch. Turn the phone on. I'm talking. So just if we loop back on that point you made about how you guys market and stuff, you would be a good person to ask this question to. This is a hypothetical. I'm not referring to anyone specific, but do you think it's possible for a breeder in today's age to produce quality work but not be particularly present on social media? Do you think it's going to work or it, it just won't be viable in this current you know, scene? You know, that's a really interesting question because there are certainly breeders around that don't you know, rip up social media, but you know, like my favorite, one of my favorite breeders right now is Bodie. Have you seen his camera work on uh, Instagram? Yeah. All the tobacco and stuff. (laughs) The resin heads and stuff he does, he's just out of control. And so he's there, but I I don't know. How do you, how do you sell your strains? If you don't tell people about them, how how do you sell the donuts? If you don't tell people you got good donuts. I mean, I, I think there are people working well, here's one badger. Badger is probably one of the best breeders in America today. Do you even know who he is? Yeah, I definitely know who he is. So, that's, so he's coming up. Is he on social media? Yeah. You kind of have to almost, if that makes any sense. So I, I don't think you can. I really don't. Yeah, well, I mean, just most notably, having had a chat with Gooey Breeder, I kind of think of him in that regard. I think he maybe limits himself a bit by being so absent, you know? Yeah, he doesn't make any money. I mean, I'm not dogging Gooey. He's he's got money. He's a very successful, wealthy person. That's not I did, that sounded wrong the way I said it. But does he have 45 strains on the market selling them in every dispensary and every shop? Does he have his strains and attitude? And no, it's because nobody knows about him. We know about him. Me and you know about him because you know Joel, and we know his stuff is the bomb. Oh yeah, you know he, he's a eclectic kind of guy. I, I've only met him twice, and hell, I live down the street from him. There you go. Closer than you would have thought. So good, good reference, by the way. Gooey is a hell of a breeder that doesn't that people don't know. That's a great reference, by the way. So something I wanted to quickly bring up. This this one you may or may not have heard of. When I remember you first talking about super soil, I'm pretty sure the cook time has always been about three months, you know. But I swear it's like a competition now, and I hear people saying, you know, like six weeks, eight weeks, and I just feel like it's got to be somewhat detrimental to the plant. Do, do you find that uh, reducing that cook time is detrimental to the plant? Okay, so eight weeks is really good, six to eight weeks. Um, yes, if it doesn't, if you don't break down, especially if they're using... Uh, if they're not, if they're using glacial rock dust, which some of the recipes people still use that, that does not break down. Um, if they're using Leonardite, it's a little slower. Uh, there's a couple of things in the mix that takes a little longer. We have something, we do it completely different here. We keep six cans made. 
So if we drop three cans, we keep six. I can tell you that I happen to know that, that um, Jill runs nine. So we keep them full all the time. And I would say most of our super soil is approaching two months of age. Um, people think it goes bad. Soil, it's not going to go bad. But remember the gnat thing. If you leave it outside for too long and it gets moist, you can make a breeding sanctuary for gnats. Two inches of neem crake across the top will prevent that. Good advice, good advice. So one of the things I saw in that thread today, someone wanted to know, how come you were banned from Breed Bay? I don't actually know any of the context to this, so it's just going to be totally all new to me. Yeah, well, I mean, Pistols was my friend, and we sold stuff, and he had kind of a beef with my ex. I never really got along. And in the end, uh, he owed me $90,000. And he basically, you know, he's overseas paying me drafts, and he let it get up, and I was hitting him on it, and then he one more order, and it got too high, and I basically he said, "Fuck you, I'm not paying you," and he banned me. I did. Huh? Is that is that a common thing dealing with seed banks nowadays, or is that oh a my thing god? Pass? Yes, 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 yes. Uh, here's another one. I love this one. So logic. Um, what is logic on? Which one is logic on? God, it's one of these forums. I can't. He he at four twenty something. I, I'm sorry. Anyway, he 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 tried to get me, but I tricked him into paying me by telling him I was going to send him another order and didn't. He got two other people. Everybody left his site. His site still runs and he still does business with new people. I guess he doesn't rip people off anymore. It look when you're dealing with an email, what are you going to do? Sorry, bud. Fuck off. What are you going to do? You're going to scream and you're going to holler and you're going to start a war on the internet that turns into some big drama and nobody knows the truth. But what do you do if me and you establish business and I just tell you to fuck off? You know, your name's Red Baron and my name's Subcool. Sorry. I mean, logic. Yeah. How the hell am I supposed to collect from some guy named Logic? So it's part of the business, which is why some of the people that we work with, like Ed Borg of Delta 9, a 22-year relationship Hemp Depot, 19-year relationship, attitude, 14-year relationship. Work with people you trust. It's interesting you mentioned attitude. One of the other criticisms I've heard from people is that I think it's probably true that at one point you were definitely one of the main breeders on attitude. It seems like you've done very well on that historically. What I heard was that you had a lot of influence over attitude and who got to vend on that site. Is there any truth to that or do you want to comment on that at all? No, it's not true at all. I I was there when there was only a few breeders and so I made a ton of fucking money. I was the guy going to the cannabis cup. There wasn't anybody else really. I liked a couple of people and then they started picking people up. You got to realize I was there before Big Buddha. Uh, my first high times cup, I stood ass cheek to ass cheek with Big Buddha at a three by three table. Him behind me, he's selling his cheese. I was selling Jack the Ripper. I mean, we all kind of started from the same roots, you know. So, yeah. <laughs> What's it like to deal with these international banks now? Do you still have these issues like what you mentioned with Logic, or is it a bit more business like nowadays? No, we 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 actually have. I have a business in Amsterdam. I own a business in Amsterdam. I have a bank account there. I have a facility there. And so I, I own a business in Amsterdam. So it's not, it's not the same thing as it used to be. So, I mean, I, Will can go there and visit Ed's office. Uh, it's, it's not smoke and mirrors anymore, if that makes any sense. I mean, it's a business, you know? It's, um, 
Yeah. You open up a business, you do business, you run the money through the banks. Uh, I know this man's name, address, tax ID number. Uh, I have a, oh, by the way, there's another thing. Now, you're lucky I didn't make you sign an NDA and I'm laughing. But me and Will have a stack of non-disclosure agreements sitting next to us. If you come in my house and we're going to talk business, you're going to sign that shit. Because if you talk shit down the road, I'm going to bust your ass. It's another part of this business is people yeah. can't keep their fucking mouth shut. Yeah. No, I, I can totally understand that. And nowadays, the people that we're talking to come with NDAs. And now we're having NDA dick. I want you to sign my NDA. And Will, Will, Will by the way, one of the smartest contract people I've met <laughs> in life. Not he read this one guy's thing. He goes, nope. I said, why aren't you signing? Because his contract says if we have a dispute, we have to go to fucking New Jersey. I was like, yeah, we're not signing that shit. So, yeah. And the guy bought it. He goes, why won't you sign mine? He goes, because we're not going to dispute the shit where you live. And they were like, okay, so he signed ours. So we have a better NDA. <laughs> So I got to give a little bit of credit to uh, my friend who I have actually forgotten his name, but he helped me with this one. Basically, in one of the old Weed Nerd nerd episodes, apologies, you asked the fan for suggestions of a strain name and eventually the suggestion of electric watermelon hash plant came up. But then kind of the next episode, you said, oh, we can't use that because that one's already in use. However, a lot of people will point out that there's a few strains from the TGA stables which have taken names of already existing strains like Deep Purple from Jordan of the Islands as well as Strawberry Daiquiri from Surefire Seeds. Do you think that, you know, like you, you do you try to avoid this overlapping of the names being taken? Was it something you're aware of? Yeah, so in the old days it was easy. In the old days you made up a name and it wasn't taken. Simple. When I started doing this there was no such thing as a name of cannabis. It just wasn't. So we can name anything we want to. We can name it Dump Truck Motherfucker. It was cool. But now, the other day, this is a great example. So Joel just released a strain to me called Great Goo. So I type the fucking thing into Google, and it comes up all over the place. So I changed the name of this tester to Af Groovy. And Joel calls me. He goes, hey, it's fucking it's Great Goo. And I said, well, no, Great Goo is. He goes, no, Great Goo is just names and shit. There's no verified genetic heritage, and we're keeping the name shit changes so yes i would rather not the other part of it's kind of i'm pretty sure my deep purple was before jordan's i was aware of the strawberry daiquiri okay so i grew the strawberry daiquiri out uh the plant out and it has to be strawberry daiquiri it's it has to be it's kyle cushman's strawberry cough times the thc jack the ripper male and it tastes like a fucking strawberry daiquiri I didn't, wasn't aware of it until I had already tested it under those names. And when I looked it up, I said, well, you know what? There are only so many names to go around. So that one's going to be somebody else's strawberry daiquiri. And this one's going to be sub cool strawberry daiquiri. It was a decision because there are just only so many names left. Every stoner on the planet has sat around smoking weed and put cheese times butthole times northern lights. There's just nothing left. I mean, there's a strain called Thunderfuck. There's a strain called Dog Shit. Uh, there's 12 strains with the watermelon name in them. So, yeah, I really at first really tried. Now, I don't really give a shit. Okay. So, one thing I definitely wanted to ask you before I forgot was, I noticed in one of your posts, you said that the, I can't pronounce it, but you did it perfectly. Is it the Pinot Noir or something along those lines? I think you said it's your... Yeah, it's your favorite strain. And I think it's from Aficionado, or at least this is what the post said. Can you give us some information on it? You know, like I, I couldn't find much at all. I'm really interested. 
It's a clone only strain that Leo and Frenchie work with. They have lost theirs. The only copy of it was at my house two nights before the fire. Frenchie was at my house the night making hash. I said, Frenchie, take it. He says, Oh, that's so cool. I'm busy. I'm going to make the dope sauce to make the mash. I said, Okay. <laughs> Leo there was the next day. Hey, bro, what's up? I said, Man, take this clone. He goes, Man, I'm going to the bay. I said, Well, swing back by and get it. He goes, Okay. And he didn't. And it burned up in the fucking fire. So Leo says he has a line on it, but right now we do not have a line on it, which means we can't make Cuvée and we can't make Tinto, and they're my two favorite strains. I'm trying. I call Leo as much as I can. Y'all also understand when I call Leo, he's busy as shit. He's got 300 acres and he's growing. So while he loves me and cares about me and wants to help me, he's busy. So I hadn't heard from him in four weeks. Three days ago, he sent me a text that said, Sub, I have a line on the clone and I'll be contacting you. I texted him back and he never even responded. Busy is busy, you know. Yeah, it's interesting we we speak about aficionado because in the uh, the infamous thread we reference, one of the very obscure points brought up was that someone felt that TGA genetics were overpriced. Forget that for just one moment. I want you to consider that in contrast to aficionado. You know, do you think that that statement holds any weight when you've got people, admittedly, you mean a three hundred dollar wooden box? No, I don't think my seeds are overpriced. <laughs> Sorry, and I love Leo to death, but I sell seeds for $40, and that's a very reasonable price. We pay $2 to manufacture them, and we, what happens is Attitude turns around and sells them for $160. That's not me. Would you ever consider trying to impose some type of ceiling on your prices where you say, look, I just don't ever want it going above this level. I just feel it's a bit excessive at that point. No, the industry did that. Crockett was standing at a Kush talk this weekend, himself selling 13 seeds for $50. You're about to see the price of seeds. Take a shit. Yeah, okay. So <laughs> do you think that's just going to drive out the small-time producers? Well, yeah, I mean, you got to keep up. It's uh, well, I mean, that shocked shock me. He actually came over to my bo- to our booth and talked to the, uh, our people. And, and I love Crockett. This is not, I mean, it's, all I'm saying was it's tough out there. This man was standing there selling seeds. That's it. It's 13 seeds for $50. That's that's a really good deal yeah, for Crockett Seeds. And never it's, seen it that cheap. So in the old days, we'd go to an event, we'd make $200,000. At Kushtock, we'd make $2,200. You think I'm going back? Wow, yeah. <laughs> Plus, you can buy a pack of seeds on Instagram like it, the fucking Domino's pizza guy bring you a pack of seeds nowadays. I mean, it is become silly. You can Uber fucking weed to your house. So you don't really have to do the other things we used to do. I mean, you can have somebody bring a pizza and a bag of pot to your house here. So yeah, yeah. So, they could probably swing by and get you a pack of seeds. I had heard rumors that, uh, Agent Orange was possibly used in the creation of Tangy. Had you heard anything along those lines? No, I mean, I'll comment on that for sure. So Eric 77 brought us California Orange. California Orange is used by me to create things in the old days. It's used by DNA to create things. And Orange Velvet is California Orange. It's all the same cut. Our cut came from some people and it was called Melvin. And we thought Melvin was a fucking stupid name. And it smelled like oranges, so it's orange velvet. But they're all California orange, and they came from Eric 77 in Gainesville in 1979. Yeah, I've, I've heard that a lot of it is very much just Calio dominant expressions, isn't it? Do you think that we'll see the orange trend come back, or do you think it's kind of peaked and we'll, you know, we won't see it again for a while? 
I'm so over orange. I will never smoke it again. So you won't see me making it. <laughs> That's a good answer. So what type of flavor profiles are you looking to move on to? Chocolate, cherry, banana, and watermelon. Those are some pretty unique ones. You're talking kind of individually or more blending them all together? Just those remember that rainbow story? Yep. So I'm still on it. So we got cherry and now we lost Pinot, but we had chocolate. Dude, I made chocolate weed. Get the fuck out of here. I made chocolate weed. Ask any of my fans what cuvee tastes like. Tastes like chocolate. That's just, it's a flavor thing, man. So yeah, I, I tasted some Brandon with third gen. I bought a gram of something from Morganican last year called Melons with a Z. Melons. Dude. Jesus, I was licking the lick in the jar. It was, it was some of the best tasting terp I have ever had in my life. And it was real. So, yeah, I'm chasing that. Um, I, know, I know where the terp is. Uh, the cherry terp, which is the cherry gasm. We really love it. Uh, a new one we have is a Nepali queen. And the Nepali has this really hashy, grapey, old school, like old dope. You know, when you went and bought a bag of dank when you were a kid, that old, funky incense smell so that's the nepali and that's one of joel's man it's old clone that we brought out a new and lemon stilton are you kidding me he took uh jtr and he, and he crossed it with a cheese so you get the the thcv pain killing effect with the pain killing effect of cheese i don't know if you know this but people who have rheumatoid arthritis swear by cheese and i can't tell you why scientifically i don't know I know I know a bunch of old vets that are beat the shit and back and they love cheese. And so when you mix it with that JTR, you get an additional pain killing effect. THCV acts on the CB2 receptor. The CB2 receptor is responsible for your autoimmune system. So if you can stimulate the autoimmune system, you can help heal yourself. And that's why THC is so uh, important and it's very rare. And since we discovered it in 5% in the Jack the Ripper, you see a lot of people running Jack the Ripper looking for a male in the hundreds of seeds, trying to find that that rare JTR male. Yeah, I can definitely agree on the uh, stimulating the immune system idea. I'm a big believer of that as well. So I am interested to know, do you have any theories? I think you may have said you do on where those watermelon terps lie because they seem to be the most kind of, the mo you know, they're just being exposed and I'm sure they're amazing. I haven't yet been able to try them. Where do you think they come from genetically? I don't know, but there's a strand called goji and it tastes like watermelons and I don't even know where it's at. I've just, this is uh, internet research, okay? Yep. And I got to... Go try to find goji. I don't. I don't even know what it is or anything about it, but I understand it has a watermelon terp in it. But I will have to say something else that's going to stagger you. I'm not currently breeding. Um, I moved here. We have a very unique program here. Um, we have a numbers game. So right now I'm at 24. Tuesday we get a piece of card. I get 36. On Thursday I go to 48, and eventually we'll have 60 here. But when we moved in. I can only have 12 plants, which is why I have fucking eight giant plants in my pool. It's really simple. <laughs> I couldn't grow the number of plants that I would grow in the pool. So we grew big fucking plants. I would imagine, unless the pool project is the most successful experiment in life, those things will get torn down and we'll go back to the standard four 10-gallon pots under a 1,000 where we get almost three pounds. But if you've seen the pool, We've employed these special cages called grow efficient cages, steel frames, five by five. 
And this gentleman says, strain specific, we can get five pounds a piece. And that would be 40 units. I'm skeptical, but if we get that, we may just continue growing the big trees indoors because it's fucking fun. So a lot of our viewers love to get the kind of growers tips from our guests. A lot of our viewers are also organic, which is going to work perfectly because, you know, you're, you're speaking to the, the choir. What type of things do you like to supplement your super soil plants with? You know, you mentioned teas earlier. What are some general tips you might have for us? So last year we started making our own teas, um, which we got great results from. It's kind of what we call a low-till. So you have a super soil with a lasagna tech. Lasagna tech is crab meal and, and alfalfa and different things in between with a cover crop. But we have teamed up with the Dragonfly Earth Nutrient Company, and um, I have to tell the whole story. So in the old days, they sent me some, and I didn't, I didn't take it serious. I, I joked around, oh, hippie crap, and I didn't take it serious. I actually burned my plants because I didn't pay attention. So when we, we had them on the show, and they were such nice people. I'm like, well, these people are really nice people. I need to pay attention and stop being an asshat. So I paid attention, and I got to know their company, and they sent us uh, a, a large amount of products. And so we're feeding the super soil. Now, we've been in veg for god 14 weeks now so yeah and this is not your standard system so we've been using the luscious green and the flowers we also use the we did fuller last night um which leads me to a crazy thing and i'm gonna get back to the tips but check this out did you know that if you use fuller spray that your micros testing in a lab are going to test above ten thousand. And based on new regulations in Washington, Oregon, and Colorado, that would fail the test for natural. By the way, cannabis cannot be organic because organic is a word of the FDA. It's a federal term. So there is no such thing as organic cannabis. There's natural cannabis. And that's a real definition in there. So we really like the idea of using beneficials. But if you spray stuff on your plants, in certain areas, you may not pass the lab test because they can't differentiate between bad micros, which would be shit, and good micros, which would be like bacillus. That That's a really important point. A lot of people in those areas may not be aware. I guess maybe a question which immediately jumps to mind is, do you know if there would be a rough cutoff time? If you used it in veg, you'd be okay. Just don't use it in flour or by a certain week of flour, stop using? Or do you think it's just a bit unknown at this point? I, I wish I knew. We... We just learned this. I'm sounding awful smart because a lab uh, scientist stood there and talked to me for about 40 minutes just three days ago or I wouldn't sound nearly as smart. But what we found out is some really good cannabis that we looked at was testing a 90,000 joules or jazz or whatever the hell it was. And CFUs, thank you, CFUs. I told you you smarter <laughs> than me. And, um, but it was good. There's nothing wrong with it. But at 90,000 under these new regulations, it would immediately be destroyed. Wow. So they don't understand the difference between good beneficials and bad. And, I think it's one of the things that the weed nerd is, you know, I've been doing shows on it. I've been teaching the growers. And one of the things I can use my platform is to send information out. So I've already been teaching the world that they're trying to ban organic growing because the simple solution to not testing above 10,000 is to grow with salts and cocoa. And that's not the kind of cannabis I smoke. I prefer not to smoke salts. It's just all there is to it. So I'm, I'm, you know, hugely passionate about organics, but a, a debate I'm interested in is, if you got the absolute highest quality produced salt grown and the highest quality organic, do you think <laughs> do you think they're on par or do you think there's still a better? Because I struggle with this personally. I, I've, from my personal experience, I think the absolute best salt grown 
it can be close, if not on par, you know. And that, but but it's I never see it, you know. I see it like once once a year at the Emerald Cup from one person. Soul growing's not easy, and not everybody does it right. I can tell you that long ago, me and um, me and Jill did a side by side. She did hydro and soil, and she crushed me on the yield. And we both agreed that the soil grown pot tasted better. Both. I mean, it was not. It was like she got like eight ounces, and I got like three ounces because we're playing oversized mine. It was this really fun, cool experiment, a wonderful memory. But in the end, I mean, her pot even looked better. It had more resin on it. But in the end, when you smoked a bong hit, the shit in the dirt smoked better. It turned white and it disappeared. That's, that's why a lot of people grow soil. Now, having said that, scientifically, there's no difference. But we both know there's something symbiotic going on down there in the soil and the roots. And there's some kind of harmony and some kind of hippie shit going on there. And that's why so many people grow in soil. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I... um. I don't get into a lot of hippie shit, but I get into a lot of hippie shit around soil and the benefits of like just even interacting with it and stuff. I think it's real. One of the last things I wanted to ask you about was the Chernobyl line. This and especially the Slimer clone has gained a lot of popularity. Would you consider ever working with it more? It's yeah. I mean, I actually have Slimer here and not only do I have Slimer here, but we talked about it earlier. I have the genetic rights to sell it. It was marketed under my own strength, but the story of Slimer is hilarious. A guy named Coma found the clone and started yelling, Slimer, Slimer, Slimer. I never even had the damn thing. And it started showing up in clubs and everything, and then somebody gave it to me. And then there's the golden ticket. Man, these are just phenotypes. I I, I cannot buy into this bullshit. I mean, there's one pheno that runs around called Slimer. I guarantee if you caught a 10-pack, you'd find another one. Another 10-pack, you'd find another one. It's just a genetic expression. Yes, it happens to make a lot of resin, but all Chernobyl strains make a lot of resin. I mean, it's a strain called blood wreck, and it just it piles it out. And I'm happy to report that Badger has the blood wreck cut and the Jack the Ripper, and he's making Chernobyl right now. So something that we really enjoy making um, is still around. And what I would suggest is if you are a grower, to grow out a 10-pack and find your own Slimer versus something that somebody else selected because we all have our own taste. And what someone likes, you may not. So I've always been the grow it and select it guy to the point to where even around here, the shops, that the people around here will not crack a pack of seeds. They'll come to Sub's house and take some cuts. Hey, Sub, will you take a cut for us? Can we have one of your cuts? I was like, crack a pack of seeds. And I can crack up a 10 pack and find the best female in 50 days. It's just laziness that people don't do it. Having said that, I'll keep cracking seeds and finding those winners and putting them out on the street, which is what Coma did. And that's why you hear about these things. There's other ones. There's the watermelon pheno of nine pound hammer. There's the, there's the marmalade pheno of jelly bean. There's the rubber tire pheno of agent orange. There's the God's pussy pheno of vortex. There's the purple quirkle. They just, the internet tends to put labels on things and then people latch onto them. It's great stories. Yeah, okay. I certainly can uh, echo that sentiment of, you know, popping more seeds and finding your own one because I, I can attest, you know, I found my own Slimer and it's amazing. That basically brings us to the last part of the interview where we do the quick fire questions. So, first of all, what's your favorite strain right now? God, that's hard. It's got, it's got to be the Jesus, man. I mean, it's just... It dumps so many crystals and it does it so well. It's got a great, inspiring high, but that's an unfair question. 
Yeah. I, my favorite strain today is Pineapple Express because John gave me three grams of it. It's <laughs> crystals. It's just delicious. I, my favorite strain is cannabis, man. Let me change that answer. That's a good answer. It, it really is. I just love the shit. I love it all. I really do. So on the other end of the spectrum, what do you think is the worst strain in your opinion that got traction with the masses? Wow, that's a good one. That's really hard. You know, I'm going to take a lot of heat for it. I have the hardest time finding a good blueberry. I agree. I've grown five packs of the damn stuff. And I, every time I say it, you know, DJ's son attacks me. And I ain't like that, man. I read DJ's book. I love DJ's book. I would love to grow a 10-pack and get me a bomb-ass blueberry. Do you believe me? I mean, come on. Of course I do. I just... It hasn't happened in my life. So that's, that would be the one that, you know, I see it everywhere and I see people with it. And for me, four packs, nothing, nothing. So, yep. So if you could only smoke one land race for the rest of your life, what would it be? Apollo 13. No, sorry. It's got to be a land race. Oh, a land race. Yeah. Uh, it, well, makes, it makes it a little harder. It's not my thing. That's not really my thing. Yeah, I mean, right. I, I, I definitely like on um, Joel's, uh, I, I I mess this up every time I say it. Well, Oaxacan, you know, O-A-X. Yeah, I think that's how you say it. Uh, it's, it's Oaxacan, but it's Oxacan. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I like it, man. We got a strain called Pinarita that he made with that old school Colombian. Jesus, man. It tastes like peanut butter. Okay. I'm a hybrid guy. I want the juice. I want the flavors and the terps. Um, I was never a Thai guy. I was never a Jamaican guy. I was never a lamb's bread guy. Designer weed may be my thing. I don't know. So, lucky last, if you could go back to any point in history, you know, whether it be just within your life or within any point in, in all of history, and select any seeds, what would you get? I did. <laughs> I did it. I mean, I, any, I had, there's nothing I haven't worked with. I know it's a cheeky answer. There's nothing that I haven't asked for, gotten, or worked with in my life. Nothing. The G13, Calumet, A13, the C99, the Killer Queen, AK. I, no, I'm happy. I mean, I'm, I'm, I would like to have the Pinot Noir back really fucking bad. So if anybody has a line on it, I would really, really, really like to have it. But I pretty much have access to anything I want. And I, I maybe the original Northern Lights, you know, before it was adulterated. So I could actually maybe see what it was like before it became five or whatever. But even that one, but I mean, I smoked it and worked with it, you know. So I guess I'm saying I'm really happy with my life. That was a really good answer. So I think that probably just about brings us to the end of it. Thanks so much for stopping by and for dropping all the knowledge and for all the history. Is there any comments or shout outs you wanted to make before we wrap it up? Yeah, I got a couple shout outs to make. I'd like to give a shout out to all the people in my current crew. I mean, Will and Victoria, I don't know what I would do without these people. Will saved my life, came to my house, my, my house burnt down and physically put me in his car and brought me to his house and put me on his couch. I would have nothing without that man. Jen and Joel, my North Star Genetics, I lost everything fucking thing i own every seed every roach clip everything i own and i went to jen and joel's after the fire and i acquired the genetics i alone and if it wasn't for that this company would be gone i owe them a debt i can never repay and that's that's that fantastic so again thanks so much for coming and for spending some time with us awesome this was fantastic thank thank you for letting me address directly just you know, so much stuff that swirls around my life. And the last thing I say, I'm a, 
I make many mistakes in my life. My, my biggest one is I open my mouth when I shouldn't, but I'm a passionate person. I love this plant. I love my culture and I love all of you. So there you have it, folks. A big thank you for Subcool for taking the time to come on the show again. And a big thank you to all you guys for listening. Big love to all our Patreon fans. These guys are the lifeblood of the show. If you haven't checked out the Patreon, be sure to go check it out. There's going to be a whole bunch of new content going up there very soon, as well as some prizes. 420 Australia. Seeds here now. OGS. Love you guys. Check them out. We'll see you. Bye.